0: Hmm. Commissioner? <laughs> Batman. Where's the Joker? He's is locked safely in Arkham. The Penguin? No, I... Two-Face? Uh, no, no, it's not... Is it the Riddler again? <sighs> <gasps> it's... It's not Calendar Man, is it? No! Oh, thank God. It's not about your extensive rogues gallery. Oh, then why did you use the bat signal? Word on the street, there's a new player in Gotham. They call themselves... Podcasters Assemble. They're calling for entries on the latest season where they're reviewing every Batman movie, starting with Tim Burton's 1989 original and leading up to this year's release of Matt Reeves' The Batman, starring Robert Pattinson as the Cape Crusader. Holy Bat-movies, Batman! You said it, Robin. Wait, where, where, where did the kid come from?
1: There's no time to waste to the Batmobile. Podcasters Assemble. This is
2: Chris
0: from Comic Zombie. Hi, this is Zach from the Neatcast, F Cultured and Podcasters Assembled. This is Troidal Power from the Power Playthroughs
3: Podcast.
4: This is Eric Slater from Epic Fails of History, Too Young for This Trek, and Comic
5: Zombie.
6: Yo, this is Corey with The World is My Burrito.
5: I'm Ben from Dragoon Effect, an audio-only Let's Play podcast that's concerned about your mental health.
7: Hello, I am Douglas Gale, co-host of the podcast
8: Game Game Pass.
1: Hello, I'm Stephen White, co-host of Super Mega Crash Brothers Turbo. This is Justin Aki, graphic designer at One Half Significant autoco.
8: Hello, I'm Dan Hitch over in the UK. Uh, you may know me from the Temporal Trek podcast, and I am a long-time listener to the as assemble and a first-time contributor. All right, this is Ryan from Game Game Pass we're talking about Batman.
1: And I'm here to talk about Tim Burton's Batman.
3: All right, friends, it's time to talk about Batman.
8: And I could not be happier to contribute to this first in a series of Batman reviews.
4: Batman first appeared in 1939's Detective Comics number 27, created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Although his origin wasn't revealed until issue 33, while the Joker made his first appearance in Batman number 1 from 1940.
0: As we count down to The Batman uh, at the beginning of March, which I don't know when this comes out, we're going through every Batman movie. My god, so many. It's our Batman season with Batman 1989.
10: Best Batman Best Batman there was, 1989, Tim Burton Batman, Michael Keaton Batman, uh, Jack Nicholson
1: Batman. My hiatus on this show was cut short the moment it was announced we would be talking about Batman. Oh, Batman 1989.
5: I have to call it Batman 1989 to make sure that I keep it straight.
7: I think this movie is an interesting entry in the superhero movie genre.
11: So, welcome to Batman, the relaunch
5: of the series to the screen. (sighs) Been a long time since the 1960s. Because I can't just call it Batman the Movie, because that was an actual title of a movie in 1966 starring Adam West.
0: We've already hit Adam West 66 on Disassembled. Check out our Patreon for that. Or maybe it's available now through through regular. I, I don't know.
5: It's a delightfully campy, silly romp that is fun today if you are up for that type of movie because it's sort of like a transitional
7: movie it's it's like the prototype of what all the subsequent big budget superhero movies become um it has the template there but it's not quite there itself it is darker
8: um i think than other kind of more cartoony movies had been uh, batman 89 is um a favorite um for possibly more nostalgia reasons than necessarily the movie itself so batman
2: 1989 oh man um <laughs> where to begin on this one
3: i have such a fondness for this movie but i have very little childhood memory of it first time i
0: saw this film i actually don't really remember
4: this wasn't just the first batman movie i ever saw I'm pretty sure it was the first movie I ever saw.
2: I was a little kid when I saw this. I had just, before I saw it, started reading the comics, but I grew up with Batman, you know, toys and cartoons like my whole life.
0: I It wasn't in theaters. I would have been too young to go to the theaters at that point.
4: I must have been two or three years old, and I had an unhealthy obsession with anything and everything Batman, Dick Tracy, or DuckTales.
0: So we must have rented it at the house when my parents thought I was old enough, uh, being rated PG-13. I did see it before I was
8: 13, but. But uh, Batman the character is a huge favorite of mine, always has been, probably my most favorite of all the uh, DC characters.
1: While Batman isn't my superhero numero uno, Tim Burton's Batman does hold a very special place in my heart.
8: I was like 10 when this came out, I saw this in the theater with my dad. I was actually too young uh, to go to the cinema over here in the UK. Uh, over in the States, I believe it had a PG 13 rating. Over here in the UK, it had uh, what we call a 15 rating. So you have to be 15 years old. Uh, you didn't even have parents' com- permission to come and see it. Uh, and I knew that that was a big thing.
4: It's a movie I've seen so many times that I can basically recite it by memory. While it's definitely of its era, Tim Burton's 1989 Batman is an incredible movie.
2: The first Batman comic I ever read was called A Death in the Family, in which the Joker beats Robin to death. <laughs> so I um I got a, a very unorthodox introduction to kind of the quote unquote real world of the characters. So about a year or so later when this movie was about to come out, I had dived hard into the comics and had some pretty good ideas of who, you know, these characters were at this point. Very adult, PG thirteen.
10: Uh Movie, A lot of people die. There's no blood. It's PG-13, but people die
1: every few minutes.
0: This was the Batman that I grew up with.
1: Prior to this film, Batman, to me, was this campy character with an annoying sidekick. At the time,
4: audiences were primarily familiar with the campy 60s Adam West series, but this was the first dark and serious take on the Caped Crusader for the big screen.
1: Not only was I exposed to Adam West and Burt Ward's versions of these characters early on, but also to the animated Superfriend versions, which were equally campy.
2: And I knew that the Hanna-Barbera cartoons or the Batman 1966 show with Adam West and Caesar Romero and all them was not what a traditional Batman
8: was like. Uh, Up till then, over here in the UK, again, we had Batman 66. People saw it as this campy adventure, very colourful, very psychedelic. Um, Batmania had reached our shores, but uh, Batman was not seen as a serious dark character, as it had been for many years, in in decades, in fact, uh, in the comic books. So I was aware that there was... The Batman character that everyone knew and the Batman character that I and my friends knew from comic books and so forth.
2: So seeing this on the big screen, uh, while it is not the most, we'll say comic book accurate version of the character, it is worlds better than
5: anything that had ever come before. It is nothing like the gritty version of Batman that we get today that was inspired by the Frank Miller comics of the mid 80s and in fact
1: helped boot this movie and because of that perception no one wanted to make the dark Batman movie that executive producer Michael Uslan was pitching around Hollywood um it's certainly darker than previous instances of Batman when
7: this came out I think the Adam West Batman was the most well-known version of it at least um translated to to the screen and this
5: is definitely not that batman the dark knight returns was a huge success for comic books when it came out just a few years before this movie and i'm sure comic book fans were hoping to see that take in theaters but a lot of the success of this movie wasn't just comic book fans that was still a
8: fairly niche thing Um, i was around the the age of six uh when this movie came out so i was nowhere near going to get to see it at the cinema uh but you know it it was invading culture you know it had happy meals there were micro machines to collect um magazines everywhere had the batman symbol everywhere um michael keaton's face was adorning all of the magazine covers and things like this uh you know Superhero movies weren't really a thing. We had
5: four Superman movies in the 70s and 80s leading up to this. Prior to this,
4: we had the original Superman films with Christopher Reeve, which started out great and gradually
5: went off the rails. The first two were quite good, and the fourth Superman movie is just awful. Like, I am not surprised that superhero movies as a genre didn't take off after the superman quadrilogy
1: richard donner's superman showed viability in superhero films but the film also contains some campiness in its own way further driving the point that batman couldn't be dark a drastic turn from camp
11: they took some elements from the comic the dark knight returns which is fantastic on its own but which thankfully thank god they didn't follow 100 percent
1: but those opinions changed in the 80s starting with the release of frank miller's dark knight returns which took the character back to a dark and even grittier tone not seen in decades. Then came Alan Moore's The Killing Joke which explored the relationship of Batman and the Joker all while paralyzing the original Batgirl Barbara Gordon and torturing her father Jim Gordon.
4: Although the original Batman comics started out rather dark and gritty, they quickly lightened up over the years and really leaned into the wackiness of the Silver Age comics throughout the 50s and 60s. But in the 70s, the comics reverted back to their darker roots with stories like The Joker's Five-Way Revenge by Denny O'Neil. Then in the 80s, we had Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, which is about a dark alternate future and Alan Moore's The Killing Joke, which today is still one of the most disturbing Joker comics ever written, both of which had a very strong influence on
1: this movie. If you thought Miller went dark, Moore can and usually does go even darker. Between these two titles, The perspective shifted and Warner Brothers decided to give that
0: darker take a chance. Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson, Danny Elfman doing the music, composing everything for the movie. Man, this, this is one of my favorite ones. Probably due to a lot of it being nostalgia.
3: I I grew up on the Batman animated series and I remember loving that movie.
4: For those of you too young to remember, the VHS for this one started with a really riveting Diet Coke commercial starring Alfred and the Batmobile, presumably racing to get that quick caffeine fix from a Coke can and a black cape. I seriously watched the crap out of that tape. But
3: batman 1989 was not the batman movie of my youth that was more the val kilmer and george clooney batman movies
1: while i know it was not the first movie i ever saw in a theater it is the first one i can remember vividly
0: when we get to the the other trilogy later those are good as well but this is one of my favorite batman movies not perfect but i enjoy it it's one of the first films i
1: remember getting swept up in the marketing for I I don't actually remember seeing
3: this particular movie until I was probably about at least 10 years old, I would say. Uh, I remember we rented it um, probably from an actual video store and uh, watched it at home. And I, I was aware of it. I knew a lot of kind of the stylings of 1989 Batman, but I think I knew those mostly from how the animated series borrowed heavily from this.
1: Uh, including the, the music, of course. It's the first film I remember getting a VHS copy almost immediately after it was released, which was rare at the time because movies didn't release to home video the same way it does now. You see, back in them days, VHS tapes could run you upwards of $50 to $100. Studios weren't really in the business of consumer marketing. They mainly focused on selling retail to rental shops, which is another relic of the past we've mentioned on here before. But I digress. But, yeah,
3: Batman 1989 is not a movie that I remember um, being super fond of as a kid, but now I really like
8: it. And it's actually still a really good movie. Tim Burton was uh, still fairly unknown. You know, he just had Beetlejuice beforehand. Uh, But over here in the UK, again, this was another big moment, and and he was showing off his talents, as it were. So Batman 89, at least over here, um, was having... um, a resurgence of the batmania that we'd seen in the 60s
2: of this first four batman films of the you know more modern era this is by far the best one now granted the sequels are all hot garbage but this one is is it holds up it's still really good today i'd put it in my top five dc movies ever
3: but i have to tell you the first time i watched it uh when we rented that dvd was a little bit interesting, but. You'll hear about that later on.
1: I remember seeing advertisements for Batman and getting pretty excited.
8: Michael Keaton being Batman.
2: So we get uh, Michael Keaton as Batman and uh, Tim Burton directing. Now, Keaton is one of my all-time
5: favorite actors. Now, Batman 1989 stars Michael Keaton.
1: While I've heard there were detractors against the casting of Michael Keaton, I was not among them, mainly because his body of work was not well known to me at this point in time. I was only ten. And most people today might not know, Michael Keaton
5: is
0: a comedian. Now, whenever a new actor is is cast to portray Batman, everyone, well, I shouldn't say everyone, but there always is a lot of fan outcry about it. It happened when uh, Ben Affleck was was announced and cast as Batman, Robert Pattison, uh, upcoming in The Batman. And despite Keaton being loved now by many, many, many people, a lot of people originally hated the idea that he was going to be Batman. He
5: came up through stand-up comedy. He made
8: comedic movies I remember it being quite controversial at the time apparently he was seen as a comedic actor and uh, and shouldn't be anything else That they, they really didn't see how he was going to fit the suit and I can see that You know, if, if someone comes from a comedy background and, and so forth although I was way too young to remember this
4: there was a lot of controversy over Michael Keaton being cast as Batman because at the time he was known for his role in Mr. Mom which was a really good movie in its own right but it's pretty much the same kind of fan backlash you get today whenever someone is cast in a superhero role except
8: this was before the internet but uh, given that die hard had just happened the year before and bruce willis at the time was from moonlighting and had um, a whole career that was more comedic and has now been proved to be an action hero i feel like you know they could have easily given michael keaton a, a bit of a pass uh, going into this role
5: and all of a sudden, he's cast as Batman in a dark, gritty superhero
0: movie. He was fresh off of the release of Beetlejuice, so many people saw him more like the Joker, which makes sense if you've ever seen Beetlejuice. Sure, I knew him as
1: Beetlejuice, which, come to think of it, I actually saw him in theaters as well. And there was another film or two of his I'd probably seen. Hmm. But if the movie said he's Batman, then I accepted it. Kind of like other films telling me that Dolph Lundgren was the Punisher or He-Man. It was accepted.
8: And as he has said in in uh, recent interviews looking back on the character, um, they gave him a suit he didn't need to work out. Uh, They could easily just buff him up using the suit. And they did.
4: Obviously, everyone was proven wrong when the movie came out because Keaton turned in a career-defining performance as
5: Bruce Wayne. So I went and looked up the official Batman 1989 movie trailer, And watching through that trailer, there's no way to really know what kind of movie this is going to be. Yes, in hindsight, having seen this movie many times, first when I was probably 10, and I'd seen the animated series a bit, and it was about the time I saw this movie, Batman Returns, and Batman Forever, pretty close together.
8: But again, I was six years old when it came out, I I didn't really appreciate what the the controversy was he was just another actor that i thought they put in over here in the uk um mr mom hadn't really made it over here he was an unknown entity other than maybe beetlejuice and and given that Beetlejuice had the sort of horror elements he'd worked with tim burton there was a, com- a chemistry to deliver a good movie um the fact that they would just be doing it with a character i liked uh, and knew more about uh, than beetlejuice it made perfect sense but watching this trailer it's hard to
5: tell if this is going to be a campy Batman or a gritty Batman.
11: Michael Keaton as Batman is great. I'm always trying to figure out the timeline of him becoming Batman
5: because Michael Keaton was 38 in real life at this point. Ugh. So we've got this trailer that really walks the line of campy and gritty and stars a comedian. If I was told that today or saw that today, I would think that this was supposed to be a slapstick comedy
0: the backlash was so severe that Warner Brothers actually received over 50,000 letters complaining about the casting decision, but now people are going crazy because Michael is slated to reprise his role as Batman in some upcoming DCEU films. Personally, I think Keaton is great as Batman and Bruce Wayne.
2: And he plays Bruce Wayne to perfection, at least his version of it. His um, Batman's good, don't get me wrong but his Bruce Wayne is clearly unhinged, he's, he's disarmingly charming, he's quick-witted, and when his um, facade drops, I, I might not look at him and be like, that's the Batman, but I would think that dude's off his meds, and he probably has some bodies buried somewhere.
7: Michael Keaton is, I think, great as Batman and Bruce Wayne. I do remember this being a very controversial Decision at the time, uh, people were like, "Oh no, Mister Mom is gonna be Batman," but it's fine. He did, he did, a, he did a great job of it, you know. And I don't know. It seemed to be a whole, a basically, like a nothing to worry about now that it had happened.
1: After it had happened. He developed the vocal pitch difference between the two characters, which makes absolute sense in trying to hide your identity. Even if I had not grown up with him as one of my first Batmen, I still believe I would regard him as one of the better actors to portray the character.
5: But we also get the casting of Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Jack Nicholson's Joker is incredible. Jack Nicholson's Joker
2: is phenomenal. I mean, he's really great. Jack Nicholson's The Joker. It's pretty fantastic.
7: Yeah, Jack Nicholson is fantastic as the Joker. He is a lot of fun. Then
4: there's Jack Nicholson as the Joker, who is very Jack Nicholson in this movie and absolutely elevates it.
1: Jack Nicholson was definitely someone I knew at this point in time. Jack Nicholson, who is a huge star, he got top
5: billing in this movie.
7: But it is interesting because it's not it's not fully uncamp. I mean, it, it really to me feels like. There are some campy moments in it. Most of it dealing with Jack Nicholson as the Joker, which is fantastic. I mean, he is a wonderful version of the Joker, um, probably up there in, in my favorite implementations of the
8: Joker on the screen. The Joker was everywhere. You had Jack Nicholson hamming it up in interviews and so forth. Heath Ledger's fine, whatever.
7: I don't really particularly... I'm not enamored by him as the Joker. He's fine. Uh, but at the moment, I just saw Jack Nicholson, and I really loved it. It's it's He's very psychotic and funny, and I mean, he himself feels like a transition between the future darker versions to come and then kind of like the Cesar Romero version of the Joker uh, from the past.
4: He really gives it his all, and I think this might be my favorite Jack Nicholson movie. Compared to Adam West and Cesar Romero, this is a massive
5: step up for comic book movies in general. He's coming off of having done The Shining, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and these movies where, you know, he really has shown he can play this crazy, insane character. So who knows what the audience was thinking at the time. But we do know that they turned out for this movie
1: and him as the Joker was a no-brainer. Not only does he
11: play a crazy person and a criminal, he also plays a mob boss and mob underling. There's a lot of
3: great scenes with Jack Nicholson's Joker.
5: And there's just, oh, so much wonderful scenage. The Joker is doing dark jokes that seem out of place, but are perfectly in place for him.
2: His look is fantastic. Jack's, of course, an amazing actor and really steals the movie for the most part.
1: That said, I want to peek into that alternate Earth where Tim Curry was cast instead just to see what it looked like.
11: So apparently John Lithgow was in the running for Joker and to be honest, after watching him in Dexter, he would have been pretty dark, would have been a pretty good Joker, but I don't think he'd have been good as a character as Nicholson in this movie. Especially at the time he would have been with well, this Harry and the Hendersons, 89, somewhere around there. I mean, he was a comic actor just like, uh, just like Michael Keaton, but still, like, I don't know. I don't know how it would have worked back then.
7: I recently read, because after watching this movie, I just started poking poke around a little bit online. I read that there were other people up for uh, characters in the movie, like uh, Robin Williams as the Joker. Which, fine, let's not speak ill of the dead, but that would have been a nightmare of a movie. Like, that would have been... Oof. <laughs> oof. But
10: some of this just straight up freaks me out, man. Freaks me out. Joker's a weirdo.
2: These Prince songs. I will say, I really, really, really hate the fact that he's like obsessed with playing Prince during all of his crimes. Such an odd choice. All his
10: outfits. Too snappy. He's got great hats. Joker's got great hats. Him and Vicky Vale both have great hats. I ship them in another world, in another dimension.
2: I also don't love the Vicky Vale Joker bit how they kind of felt... I, I think they felt they needed to write Vicki Vale into the story more, almost like she was Lois Lane. And I, I just don't... I, I don't think she's a good enough, interesting enough character, especially the way it's portrayed by Kim Basinger, that she warrants the importance in the story that her character gets.
10: They both have good fashion style. They both have good hands.
2: I, I don't... I really don't like the fact that the Joker... It's like his 1A plan is to is to win Vicky Vale. I just, like, what the fuck? I don't know, man. I, I don't, I, my Joker wouldn't do that shit, I guess. But but it's not enough to, to make me dislike the movie or anything like that. It's just one of, a, there's a couple things that I'll detail later that I don't love about it. But there is a lot to love.
1: Nicholson portrays the Joker in a way that I usually prefer. Unhinged and unpredictable. But I think the thing that stands out
3: the most to me about his take on the Joker is that this version of Joker
1: is nuts. Most of the movie is centered around
11: him, with you know, him
1: being the only villain. His characterization feels in line with that of the animated series, where he cracks wise one minute and can kill you the next. He's nuts! I The first time I saw this
7: movie, I got a vibe of, like, this dude does not want to be here doing this. Uh, but I, I don't know where I had that impression from, because it doesn't... It's not true. I mean... He seems to really relish this role, or at least if not relish, it brings the sufficient enthusiasm to it to to really sell it. One
6: of the things that I've noticed, like Jack Nicholson is a lot scarier without the thick hat and coat, Uh, like when the the crooked cop goes to talk to Jack Nicholson, uh, Jack Napier. There we go. It was just like, wow, he kind of looks, I don't know, weaker this way. Like there's something strong about seeing exposed Jack Nicholson and I don't mean like his wiener.
11: My favorite parts of the movie are when he's in skin face pretending to be normal and then bam, time to kill. Uh, It's always
1: creepy. I will say I'm not a huge fan of the facial prosthetics. With a man having such a devilish smile already, what need was there to enhance his look?
2: I hate that he has mob goons like Bob the Goon. You know, we get that that clown army in Batman Returns. Wouldn't that have made more sense for the Joker? I'm just saying.
1: It's not something that really nags me, but it's just a curious choice. But we get
11: his origin, uh, which is really fun because Batman creates
1: him, even though uh,
11: apparently he takes over the place of Joe Chill and a bunch of other characters that might have killed his parents. There's
2: some other characters that have a fair amount of screen time, like Alfred and uh, Harvey Dent, Commissioner Gordon and Alexander Knox. Uh, the guy they have playing Commissioner Gordon would
4: not have been my first choice, but to be fair uh, he hasn't given much to do in these movies. In fact we see him less and less in each one. He's less of a character and more of an exposition dump. Now Alfred on the other hand played by Michael Goff did a stellar job in all four of these movies and really gave it his all. Whether or not the movies deserved him.
11: Oh for anyone wondering, I loved Michael Caine, but this is a damn good Alfred. I really
3: adore Alfred in this movie, he's probably one of my favorite characters, but I don't think
1: this is my favorite Alfred movie. Michael Goff was a wonderful Alfred and I'll always consider him a welcome sight in this and subsequent sequels despite a dip in quality, but we'll get to that later.
8: This is my Alfred. Um, as much as I grew up on uh, Batman 66, um, this is my Alfred. and. Uh, I realise that as the movies go down in quality for the next few iterations, he's just a delight. I don't know why. I like the man. He seems to be quite consistent. I seem to remember him being quite consistent. Perhaps I'll be wrong when I rewatch uh, Batman and Robin. Th- this this actor, Michael Michael go I think is his name. Gao, Gof, Gof.
3: I'm not sure how to say his name.
1: One might argue that him letting Vicki Vale into the Batcave was a big WTF moment for the character, but I kind of think it was spot on considering he told Bruce to be honest with her earlier and was attempting to kind of push them together until Bruce forced his hand. This actor uh, will portray Alfred throughout the, the
3: four Batman movies that kind of make up this era of superhero movies.
10: Alfred, he was so good, no wonder he was in all of these movies. They made four of these movies because this one was so good. It was serious.
3: And I think he's just wonderful. He's got a great mixture of the, like, uh, respect for Bruce Wayne, along with being the father figure, along with just a little bit of just a little bit of snarkiness, a little bit of sarcasm. Then again, if Bruce wasn't into it, then that's kind of his business. I think Alfred's great in this, um, and and he is definitely a standout for me.
8: If he's really bad with the security, though, there is a believability that this is the man who looked after the the son of his two best friends. I enjoy his performance just as much as I enjoy Michael Caine's, just as much as I enjoy Pertwee's from the Gotham TV show. You know, I enjoy lots of Alfreds, but this is my Alfred. This is the one I grew up with. This is the kindly granddad or, or, or older uncle. Um, who I could believe loved Bruce Wayne so much that he would support him in everything that he does.
4: While I do prefer the younger, edgier versions of Alfred, there's always something extremely charming about this grandfatherly take on the
1: character. But seriously, who wouldn't be into Kim Basinger? I don't hate Vicki
2: Vale. I just don't love how much she is in this film. I don't think she adds enough to it to get the screen time that she does. I feel like it's just because Kim Basinger was a name. Yeah,
8: but whatever. I had the biggest crush on her. Kim Basinger. Uh, Now, uh, I may have been six, but I wasn't blind.
1: And I stumbled upon that Playboy centerfold with her a few years later. My God! But I digress
7: again. Um, Vicky Vale, in particular, I don't think is very well handled at all. I mean, I think she faints twice and is aggressively hit on by that dude from Arliss, Robert Wall...
6: My least favorite character in this film has to be Knox, the uh, reporter guy. He doesn't really serve much of a purpose, uh, and there's nothing that he individually adds that couldn't be done with random actors and even improved upon because they have no weight.
7: It just That just is like super, I don't want to say dated, like movies, not all movies made at that time were treating female characters this badly, but it definitely... It definitely stands
8: out as an anachronistic. Uh, I did like Kim Basinger, Uh, still like Kim Basinger, and probably will always be uh, in love with Kim Basinger, uh, especially with this movie.
1: In all seriousness, Basinger was great as Vicky Vale.
4: I actually think Kim Basinger does a great job with what she's given as Vicky Vale, Even if she's more or less just a damsel in distress slash love interest that the hero and villain fight over while she screams for most of the movie.
1: My only gripe is that screech of a scream she has.
4: Seriously, there's a lot of screaming in this movie. Like, more than King Kong and Temple of Doom combined. (laughs) Go.
7: Not a fan.
4: I do think the whole photographer angle kind of works, though. And she works as a POV
7: character for the most part. I read somewhere someone said that, like, if Vicky Vale's character had been more of a femme fatale and less of a damsel in distress, that that really would have helped evoke the uh,
2: the noir feeling that these movies,
7: uh, this, this movie is clearly
2: uh, going for. Alexander Knox is played by... Robert Wool, who I actually really like.
1: Also want to acknowledge Robert Wall as Alexander Knox.
10: A lot of great people in this. Arliss, the guy, he's Knox.
2: And he's a reporter for the Gotham Gazette or whatever. And he is investigating the Batman. And it's interesting because at the beginning of the movie, he is in this a lot. He's the only reporter
6: who ever asks or says anything, which honestly detracts from those scenes because we're shown how many people are interested but there's just one dude who's like doing anything. So there's no reason to have like 50 reporters when you only need the one. He, he's not completely insufferable, but I do think he's the weakest link of this film.
2: Whether it's him investigating or him at Wayne's party or him a lot of times interacting with Vicki Vale, it seems like he's a pretty major character, but by the end, he's just, you know, he's still got some screen time, but he's just like, a, he's just kind of a background guy.
10: He's great, he's funny, he sort of grounds it, he makes it feel like oh, this is like a 90s movie. It's like this is like a, you know, like witty guy who would be in the office of a regular like 80s movie. It made it feel sort of like a regular thing.
1: He may be a forgettable character for some, but I kind of like him. The one guy in the city that believes in a Batman. It was great seeing him again in the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover, even if it was just a minor cameo. Here's hoping we might see him pop up again in The Flash. Be a great way to tie it all back around, if you ask me. It's
4: somewhat grounded, but it's also larger than life, in a good way. They didn't ham it up like the Schumacher
1: movies. Tim Burton was not a name I really knew at the time, even though I had seen and was kind of a huge fan of his two other feature films.
11: But we do get the darkness, the groundedness, the gadgets being... Somewhat believable
2: For instance The suit His suit is awesome It's it's the first time We ever got an All black Batman suit You know Uh, Previously you'd always Had the gray and the blue Or you know If you go back to the 30s or 40s uh, 30s really Gray and, and kind of a black And
8: speaking of the suit I really like it. It's, it's, it's classic. It's basic. It, it does exactly what it needs to do. The bat suit in this one is a huge step up from the 60s show,
4: but it's still a far cry from recent iterations.
2: But uh, here we get all black and it's clearly like body
8: armor and it's really cool. Yeah, he can't turn his head, but um, it's quite intimidating when he has to look with his entire body to, to sort of stare at crime uh, and take them down.
4: You'll notice that they do a great job with how they film the suit, because it's almost always in shadow, which is super effective. The silhouette looks great.
2: Uh, it works really well with shadows and everything. Uh, it's just a shame that he clearly can't move his head even like a quarter of an inch. And I have no idea what's going on with the armored abs. It, just, it looks weird. It was also
4: smart the way they made the
2: suit more than just a costume. It's body
8: armor. It opens up as, a, as quite a serious take. I mean, there's no inkling of... Um, uh, An attempt to try and make a joke of anything or be camp Uh, they are desperately trying to break free of the Batman 66 campiness um, which had proved uh, quite divisive in the fan bases lots of people who were trying to take comic books seriously didn't appreciate the fun take that Batman 66 was taking and then there were the the fans of the the Batman 66 who wanted to just keep it that way. Um, they enjoyed their Batman fun free and just wanting to go with the kind of outrageousness of the concept of a man dressing up and uh, and uh, taking on crime. but this it just goes out of the way. it's dark, it's dingy there's um griminess everywhere the the sort of 1930s gangster aesthetic it's it's really so stark in contrast to what we'd seen before.
1: Top up the dark parts with some crazy environment from Burton. It's funny going back and watching the film now and seeing all the little Burton-esque choices made for the film. Not sure the film would have been as successful without him. A
11: combination of matte paintings, crazy sets, and no respect for OSHA or physics. Set in the 1980s version of 1930 Chicago on some weird drugs. It's a Burton movie for sure, but with Batman characters
1: any director could attempt to be dark but his sensibilities made it feel more like a comic book come to life
8: Batman 89 itself um, whilst I uh, appreciate you know what they were gonna go for that they were gonna try and be more faithful to the source material um, having rewatched it now and uh, got back into the movie having not seen it for a good couple of years now uh, you can see there are cracks in it It's, it's still not quite perfect but as a delivery of something that was different from what had come before you can really appreciate the tonal shift that it was making from its campy, more popularist uh, days up to this point.
1: Things are just slightly off, you know? Not too realistic, yet not too far outside the realm of possibility.
10: Batman kills basically everyone in this movie. He tries 5 full, like four or five times, he tries to kill Jack tries to kill the Joker
4: I also really like Tim Burton's movies and I think the aesthetic he brings here really works for the story they weren't going for hyper realism like the Nolan movies and if you're looking for it you can definitely tell they're on a sound stage but I think it works because this is a larger than life operatic story about good versus evil and at the end of the day it's a fun popcorn movie
8: So, as the movie opens, it's undeniably a Tim Burton movie.
1: And you can't talk about this film without mentioning Danny Elfman's now iconic theme.
0: Oh, the movie starts with that classic Batman theme from Danny Elfman.
1: Uh, Elfman's, Danny Elfman's score
2: is fan-freaking-tastic, and it has been ripped off about a billion times.
0: Oh, so good. So iconic.
4: The movie opens with one of my favorite title sequences ever to Danny Elfman's iconic score, which is still one of the best superhero themes ever composed, alongside a Spider-Man theme of course. Can we talk about how this music score
11: is banging?
8: You've got a Danny Elfman score straight off the bat. You've got THE Danny Elfman score. I mean, there's so many um, classic Danny Elfman uh, moments in music, but I think the Batman is probably my favorite. Uh, Danny Elfman, awesome. Uh, He did the job. Which may
1: not be the theme he intended. According to Elfman, audio engineers botched the final mix of his score. And it makes me wonder what a proper mix would have been. It may not be all that different, but Elfman himself said he's not a fan of what they did to it.
8: It's really interesting to see how they are um, building up the tension playing the music but also sort of examining the logo from the inside, you know, sharp angles, the rockiness of the the bat symbol as we're going around, we're getting all the names being thrown at us onto the screen. Uh curiously prints uh making the music.
11: I mean sure they have prints on the soundtrack, but there's a reason this theme song is using everything from the animated series to the Lego movies to the Arkham video games, it's more than iconic. It is Batman.
2: Not only in other movies and stuff, but in other Batman media, you know, movies, TV shows, all that kind of stuff, video games. If you hear a Batman theme that's not Hans Zimmer from the Nolan films, it's going to at least have parts or elements of the Elfman score in it. It's,
8: it's quite, quite good. It, it's probably the one piece of music that, you know, will always be in my m- mind. You know, it's whenever I think of Batman, this is the soundtrack. Whether it is this movie, whether it's the movie to come, whether it's the Batman animated series, this particular um, da, na, 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 is always going to be in my head. But everyone from the 60s was always going to be the, na, 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 but no, it had to be the. Da, 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 da. I can't be more eloquent than that, really, with that kind of music.
6: Within the first few seconds, the scenery is already
8: mind blowing. Like,
6: amazing visuals. This is like peak Batman aesthetic. Just seconds in
4: we get the slow reveal of a stone bat symbol before fading to gotham city gotham the look of gotham is fantastic gotham in this movie might be my favorite version of gotham say
0: what you will about the look of gotham tim burton has a way of just creating incredible worlds in in everything he does
4: i once read that the production designers described it as if hell had seeped up through the concrete or something like that and I have to say Gotham itself is probably the best special effect in this movie because it's easy
7: to forget that this isn't a real place I I love the aesthetic of the this Tim Burton era of Batman
11: the city the city is is a huge character
4: in this movie the great thing about how they approach the city in this one is that it's almost a character itself it feels like a city that grew too fast for its own good
8: you can practically smell the pollution. The uh, the map paintings are fantastic. Whenever you see the sort of map paintings connected up with the, the filming of live street scenes and things like that, um, they look incredible and they are works of art in their own right. The, the, the skyline of Gotham City at the very opening of the movie is sweet.
2: You know, built on top of each other, it's crowded, it's nasty. It looks either cold and or wet at all times.
4: It's always covered in fog, and its narrow alleyways feel industrial and claustrophobic. The entire city is corrupt beyond repair, and it's a perfect biome for a Batman to thrive in.
7: Um, he really is, is capturing kind of a film noir aesthetic. Uh, Gotham is sufficiently uh, gothic, I guess. But
11: it does seem like we're always in the, the last, like, I don't know, like three blocks in downtown. All the time, everything's right next to each other.
0: As unrealistic as some of this Gotham looks, it is very entertaining and very creative. Extravagant may be the word.
2: There's, there's always like steam coming out of the sewer, there's poverty everywhere, and crime out the ass.
7: And I think that really works because you know Batman's origins are, what like the 50s or 60s. So it kind of, it kind of feels right to have the
2: world set that way. It is, it's Gotham. You know, it's great.
3: The opening sequence in this movie is kind of spectacular. And
2: as the movie opens, we see it opens on a couple and their kid kind of running through the uh kind of one of the slummier parts of Gotham, and it seems at very first glance that this might even be a flashback to uh Bruce and his parents.
3: Especially looking at it now, you're like, ah, oh, here we go. A little kid walking out of his theater with his parents, and they get held up at
4: gunpoint. Clearly it's gonna be Bruce, and this is the origin story. The opening scene is A really interesting choice, because we follow this family, uh, two parents and a son, as they leave the Monarch Theater and get lost while wandering aimlessly down Crime Alley. And if you're a fan of the comics, your first thought is, is this the Waynes?
2: But then the lady says, like, come on, Harold, or for God's sake, Harold, or something like that, and that immediately goes out the window. But it's not. Notably, this movie does not start with an origin
7: story for Batman, which I really like. I really like that. I don't... I mean, I like the Spider-Man movies, but man, you know, I don't really need to see him get bit by a radioactive spider again. I don't need to see Superman crash to Earth. Like, we all get it. That's all well and fine. And it almost never even um, adds anything to the, the narrative. It's just like... Okay, yeah, these people have powers or decide to use their wealth to fight crime. You know, let's move on.
0: Couple walking down a dark alley with their child.
7: It's just a fake out. It's just it's, it's that
3: thing happening to another family, which is exactly what Batman is out there to prevent
2: happening. As they're pushing their way through the crowd, a prostitute hits on the little boy. He looks like he's 10. It's very creepy, and it's, it's just a split-second thing, which it's
6: very gross. The hooker just tried to pick up a child. What a lucky kid. Gotham is so family friendly.
0: No, it's the smartest thing that when you're leaving a theater and trying to catch a taxi that you head away from all of the hustle and bustle and safety of being in public. So
2: yeah, this family goes down an alley where they're mugged by some, you know, guys that look like they're strung out.
6: Okay, so these, like, homeless thief dudes, they look like first stage zombies. Like, they're kind of greenish skin tone with, like, a little bit of vascularity.
0: I'm not sure which drugs are on, but one of them looks like a leper.
6: Uh, what's, what's going
2: on here?
0: Two muggers rob them, tells woman not to scream. She screams anyways.
2: And the, uh, the crooks go up on the roof of the building, start counting their, their, their take. And, uh, one of them's like, man, I don't like being out here. The bat, and blah, blah, blah. And the other one's like, oh, that's bull crap. You're just superstitious. He's not real.
0: And then there, while they're up on the roof, they encounter the batman
4: so the tourists get robbed by a couple of meth heads who immediately get ambushed by a dude in a giant bat costume and then that first appearance of batman in the shadows looks pretty
3: cool
2: and there's this really cool bit while they're sitting there talking about it and in the background silently you see the batman like kind of dropping into frame the framing of batman's entry in the background
6: while the uh homeless thief dudes were talking it is still so good like it's i like that he is not the main focal point he's just in the background and it's just the, the way the scene is set up, it doesn't even feel like it's trying to draw your eye towards it. Like, that is the only bright spot. But it's just the framing of it just doesn't feel like a normal movie that is doing this little bitty thing.
3: In fact, the less you see of Batman, the better in this movie. Just just keep him hidden in the dark as much as you can.
2: He then pops in and beats the living shit out of him and has that famous bit where he grabs the guy by the shirt. What are you, man? And he's, I'm Batman.
0: You know, Batman's a pretty strong dude. He's able to hold people out over an alleyway and not drop them. I mean, Michael Keaton isn't a big guy, but clearly he, um, he lifts.
4: I think this whole sequence totally works. It sets the tone and it gives you
2: everything you need to know right away. Bad ass. Yeah, so, a thing about that. That family is still robbed. That dude's still knocked out. Their stuff is still stolen. You kinda suck, Bats. You couldn't have, like, taken that stuff back to them or... You know, I don't know, maybe drop down a second before the attack. Ah, Who knows? It just seems kind of weird. But anyway, I want you to tell all your friends about me. Who are you?
8: I'm
4: Batman. And then just like that, he glides off the roof and disappears into the night.
11: Honestly, it's been a few years since I've seen this movie, like uh, over a decade maybe? I don't know. Uh, And I forgot how much this movie is not about Batman, like at all. I
4: also like how we don't get Batman's origin right away. Hell, we don't even thankfully get
11: an origin story. It's
4: revealed later on in the movie. We really see Bruce and Batman from an outsider's point of view, which was pretty
5: clever. So we get started in the movie, and at this point in the story, Batman is a mythological figure to the city of Gotham. Batman is
11: still a whisper in the wind, something to scare criminals, but he's not super well known. Uh, The paper, the cops, nothing.
6: He stops some crimes. I wish there were a slightly greater attention given to the passage of time in this movie. The movie tells us that, like, Batman hasn't really been doing hero stuff all that much. Like, I kind of really dig that, but then it just seems like in this film, and then particularly in the, the one that is up and coming, It's like they allude to he's never here, and then like he's always here all the time, just like driving the Batmobile down the street, like a perfectly normal person, Uh, which is kind of odd. I, I do wish there were a little bit more defined moments on that because they do have some instances where they refer to time, and then towards like the end of this movie, it's just like time is and it's all at once.
5: Rumors of him spread to the point where the newspaper wants to take a picture of him, find him, expose him.
6: Yo, the sign Bob Kane piece is great. That's uh, that's pretty cool. I wonder if he just did that specifically for this movie.
5: There's a reporter named Allie, and there is a photographer named Vicki Vale, who's played by Kim Basinger, who has taken some amazing photos from around the world and is at least somewhat known. And she comes to Gotham City because she wants to take a picture of Batman, find out if he's real and if he is, Try to win a Pulitzer Prize. I <coughs> just thought
10: oh, we get the newspaper There's guys here to talk about it. Have this sassy one kind of put us through the ringer. Knox, get they
0: him.
4: One character who I can't stand, though, is Vicky Vale's journalist friend, Knox.
0: He's always here. We meet Alexander Knox. He's a, a reporter following all these reports that criminals are being beaten up by a giant bat man.
4: He's just such a creeper, and his character is kind of useless in the story.
10: You know, freedom of the press. Though we're we're lucky to have him, but I like to just punch him.
4: That said, I do like how he's used to emphasize that Batman is more of an urban legend.
11: Some side characters we get introduction to Vicky Vale, the paper.
0: We meet Vicky Vale, who's played by Kim Basinger. She's teaming up with Knox to investigate the masked vigilante, no doubt. As-
8: bad man they're not taking the time to introduce you they're just taking it as as red that there's this world the mayor is acting tough but he's not really going anywhere i really like billy d williams as harvey dent
0: oh i forgot that lando carizian was was in this movie as harvey dent uh, i think
4: that's a super clever choice i just wish they had actually followed it up at some point with him becoming two-face harvey Dent
0: can he be trusted oh no wait that wrong wrong movie series that we will cover that one eventually i'm sure eric or chris from comic zombie will fill you in on the fun of why he was even in the movie and how much you look forward to playing the character apparently our, our mayor is pushing forward with the bicentennial no matter what and grissom who is a crime boss needs to be brought into court and then everyone will feel better and actually show up for the uh, the event
5: It mostly focuses on the origin of the Joker. We also, early on in the movie, see Jack Nicholson as a high-ranking mob officer.
4: We're then introduced to the man himself, Jack Nicholson. I mean, Jack Napier. A smug gangster with zero chill and an ego the size of Gotham.
0: Hey, we meet Jack Nicholson. He plays Jack Napier.
2: Then we meet Jack Napier, who's Jack Nicholson's character. He's the right-hand man for a mobster named Grissom.
0: A, uh, hitman who seems like he he's just tolerated
4: you gotta love napier's pad it's the most 80s thing in the movie besides the random prince music videos
8: but it, it does
4: take its time
8: there's 40 minutes of an origin story for the joker a character i would argue doesn't need an origin story and is in fact made all the more scarier as we'll probably see in future iterations uh, by not having a cemented origin story while the
4: nicholson joker might not be my favorite he's still a really interesting character I like the idea of this gangster who gets dropped in a vat of acid and it just amplifies all of his worst
8: traits. Uh, The the Clown Prince of Crime is all about chaos. With chaos uh, comes uh, an uncertainty, and if you know for sure where the character comes from, that certainty is implanted into the character, and it doesn't quite work or actors as intimidating
4: it's also kind of clever how they sort of use the red hood origin from the comics uh except without the literal
0: red hood he like he's only there because somebody made a promise to somebody's dead mother about always watching after jack seems just like a screw up i
11: forgot jack palance was in this movie you know from city Slickers. great actor
8: the real pleasure In the get go, is to see Jack Palance as Grissom, as the gangster Grissom, um, who is running the crime families at the time and is imbued with this power. And you know, you've got the the mayor of Gotham, you've got Harvey Dent, Billy D. Williams, um, you've got all this setup of this political world that's already happening. Yeah, yeah, I forgot he was in this movie at all.
0: Grissom has a meeting with his lieutenants because they have to get rid of records at a uh, chemical plant that are going to be traced back to them in this upcoming court hearing. And Grissom
2: sets Jack up to get busted, breaking into Axis chemicals.
0: He appoints Jack to go and uh, and clear them out, but it looks like he's going to double-cross Jack because
8: he's sleeping with his mistress. There is uh, Jerry Hall is the girlfriend of Jack Palance's Grissom, but obviously Jack Napier jack Nilkerson is having a relationship behind there and then that is the reason why jack balances grissom then stabs him in the back because a jack is a little crazy
2: b he's clearly like overstepping his bounds and is out for grissom's spot and c he is definitely seeing grissom's lady behind his back so none of that's gonna go well
0: i i guess i guess that's the reason
5: and the mob boss sends him to do a job
8: at ace chemicals it falls a bit flat for me um that the raison d'etre for why he is the Joker um, is just that he plays with the deck of cards. There isn't really an allusion to anything more and it, I think that for me is a problem for the entire film. Whilst I enjoy it again, the nostalgia of it and the the attempt to try and do something serious with the material that hadn't been happening before, the surface level way it treats treats some of the um, uh, characterization and the plots and subplots um it's it feels like this is the most dated aspect of the movie what it does is is okay uh, and it it establishes the characters establishes their uh, motivations but all those motivations are pretty basic it's just taken as a given it's nice to have that uh with modern movies there there's a tendency to be quite um, ponderous and having to discuss the reason why they do these things. Um, Certainly with the Dark Knight trilogy, you, you get to see quite a lot of conversations about being a symbol and being bigger than yourself. Well, that's just taken as a given in this movie.
2: Uh, We first meet Bruce Wayne at a party at his ridiculous mansion, like a casino themed fundraiser, presumably. I mean, we're not quite sure what it is.
0: Knox and Vale end up going to a charity event that is hosted by the billionaire, bruce wayne
4: now i do like how michael keaton plays bruce wayne as this totally detached slightly unhinged but charming rich guy you wouldn't suspect him as the hero type but you wouldn't be surprised to find out that he spends his nights dressed as a
11: bat along with the trying to figure out thing uh with the timeline i realize he's inherited money and is good at business but what's with the house
6: these suits of armor in uh bruce wayne's mansion are wild it's japanese how would you know that because I bought it in Japan. Uh, Are they accurate? No, but they are very comical. It truly does feel like something out of a comic book. He collects
11: art and armor, but that house was unusable to him. I mean, I guess it's to distract
0: people from the Batcave.
2: But Keaton is at his best here. He's he's understatedly intense, disarmingly charming. It's great.
0: Now, when Bruce first meets uh, Vicky, I don't know if he's playing the part of being distracted by women and not being very smooth, or if that's just... Bruce? I don't... I don't know.
2: And it's also here that he first meets Vicki Vale, setting up their relationship that will be crammed down our throats throughout the entire movie.
11: I think Bruce is just bad around women. Also, his Batman wasn't obsessed like others. For the real Batman, uh, his alter ego is Bruce Wayne. Batman is the real person and Bruce Wayne is the fake person. While in this one, I think Bruce Wayne is mostly himself, taking over Batman in an effort to right wrongs. He's... It's not the same as later on.
2: Uh, Bruce dips out of the party to Batman it up at Axis Chemicals, where everything quickly goes to shit.
0: Jack figures out that he's been double-crossed by Grissom. The police
4: realize this and are there to stop him. Jack Nicholson is framed by Grissom, who tips off the cops that they're breaking into Axis Chemicals.
6: So the crooked cop is like, shoot to kill, know what I mean? And it's like, "I, I sure hope. So, I I hope they know what that means.
2: Now, Gordon is not if you're looking for like the Gary Oldman comic book Batman animated series Gordon, you're not going to get him. This is much more like a Batman the TV show Gordon. He's just kind of there to be like, "Oh my goodness." So, yeah, not really great for Batman's main partner. It kind of sucks. But that's okay.
0: Eckhart, who's a crooked cop, shows up, tries to apprehend him.
2: And the police have showed up there on Grissom's tip through a uh, crooked cop named Eckhart. You get uh, Eckhart.
4: And then we've got Detective Eckhart, who's basically a really shitty, way more corrupt version of Bullock
8: from the animated series. Now, not Harvey Bullock, as those in the, the comic book might know. You've got Eckhart, who is kind of the slovenly, in the criminal back pocket, uh, uh, twisted and bent cop. And Eckhart has the greatest, like,
2: noir character voice I've ever heard.
8: Eckhart, that guy was cool. Man, I'm
10: a grizzled detective, just right out of a comic book. That guy I never saw him in nothing else. He was
8: great.
2: Super gravelly. It's like he's been smoking cigars since he was a day old. It's fantastic. Drinking Drano.
8: It's it's quite nice to see that Commissioner Gordon is, is somewhat aware of that, but Commissioner Gordon is quite bumbling in this movie and uh, doesn't reproject himself as the serious and uh, involved character that we get to see in future iterations.
0: Jack goes to a computer control panel and pushes a bunch of levers and therefore it makes the chemicals start to break, the chemical plant start to break down? Everything
4: about Axis Chemicals in this movie is top-notch in my book. I think this whole thing is a really great set piece. The use of lighting and smoke and shadow is really clever.
2: The cops are shooting out at Axis Chemicals with Napier and his guys. Not gonna lie, if uh, Napier had stayed
6: in the file office of the chemical place, he probably could have just waited for everything to get crazy and end and then literally walk out. Like everyone was in there guns ablaze and I doubt anyone would have checked out that
2: office.
0: I love how the police and and the gangsters are just openly firing bullets in a chemical plant.
2: And uh you know, that's the best place possible
8: to have a shootout I found. It's a chemical factory.
0: It's just that seems like a genius idea.
8: The Ace Chemicals uh, scene and, and the, the action towards it and the, the creation of Joker um, is fun. Batman shows up, and during the, uh, the foot chase
2: and shootout, the Batman shows up and starts taking out Napier's goons one at a time, stalking them from the shadows. It's pretty cool.
5: There's a whole fight scene.
2: Uh, a, a far sight from Adam West running around
8: with the bomb, i tell you that. Or punching a shark in the face. It, it's good. You get to see uh, Batman use some of his wonderful toys at the beginning. Batman shoots one... Uh... One gangster the shoulder with
0: a harpoon gun? That, I mean, he's not dead, but damn, that's
8: going to do some damage. And it's all very classic comic booky.
0: Everything is highly toxic and extremely corroded in this chemical plant. And then police just are standing in a highly toxic goo opening fire. <laughs> this is, this seems, where is OSHA? Safety third, people, safety third. Oh, Jack finally runs into Batman.
10: He, he tries five full, like four or five times. He tries to kill Jack. Tries to kill the Joker. Okay?
0: And again, Batman's been working out. Just lifts Jack up like he's nothing. After Batman temporarily disappears, Jack grabs his gun and just shoots Eckhart, because knew he was being double-crossed, and then goes to shoot batman
2: jack shoots a batman but the bullet ricochets and comes back and hits him in the face at least i'm pretty sure that's what
10: happened
0: but a single bullet reflects off batman's gauntlets and then off a mechanical device or meters and it hits him in the face
10: first time he deflects a bullet and it basically hits jack hits joker on the head almost kills him right then that's time number one
2: i've seen this a hundred times and still a little confused on some of the uh, physics or some of these things,
0: but whatever. What, what does it do? It goes goes through his cheeks. That's a hell of a that. That's very painful. Almost killed him with his own bullet. And then he just falls over a banister that's about hip height.
2: Uh, the bullet hits him in the face, and the impact like kind of tweaks him out, and he
8: falls off the railing. Batman grabs his hand, but is unable to hold on. He. Sort of falls, he doesn't quite fall. He, he wants to hold him up, but he, he lets go at the moment. He slips out of Batman's grasp.
0: Maybe they should build better banisters so that all these people aren't just falling into green goop or being dropped into green goop. And everything is highly toxic. Nobody's wearing masks or PPE.
5: And eventually, Batman ends up knocking Jack into a vat of chemicals. And Jack falls into a vat of chemicals. To which people just assume that he died.
10: Time number two drops him in the vat of toxic waste. It looks like maybe he was trying to save him, but he could have just dropped him. I don't know. We're not inside of his head. Jack thinks that he dropped him in. He says, "You, you threw me in the thing. You killed me. He did. He it.
2: Which somehow just like washes out into the sewer, uh, like a pond or uh, like a drainage. I don't know, but whatever acts as chemicals is clearly dumping chemicals in the waters. So that's cool.
10: Dropped him in. That's what Joker's pissed about. That's why he's so mad. He got dropped in by Batman.
6: Okay, hold up. So Batman hooks a guy to the railing. Like this is in the chemical plant, he's on the second level, and this guy is on the, uh, he's now dangling between the second and the first floors. So he's at the railing and then he sees Commissioner Gordon about to walk into view. So Batman walks away from the railing and then walks back just to make an entrance. That's like it's it's dumb, but like it's still kind of funny. I feel like it's not the kind of humor that is intended in this movie. But that is that is so random. It's such an odd little thing to happen. Batman
4: shows up, stops Nicholson from killing Gordon, and accidentally drops him into a vat of ecto-cooler before throwing some gas bombs and Batmanning out of there.
2: Jack survives. And then, of course, the next time we see Jack, he's, he's not Jack. Jack's gone. He finds an underground
5: mob surgeon.
0: So Jack survived and now has a permanent smile because the doctor who did the work had very archaic tools.
2: He's had some like off the book surgeon who's done what he could, but you see what they have to work with here. So the, uh, the facial reconstruction doctor
6: is telling Napier, like, he's like, look at the tools that I have to work with. And it's like, dude, these tools suck, man. Like, why are you even using these?
0: And that the nerves were completely severed so that he's stuck with a permanent smile.
5: And he gets at least some plastic surgery to repair himself,
6: and honestly, like, could Napier not have afforded a better surgeon? Like, he's the right hand man to one of the richest people, or I guess richest thug in Gotham City. And I'm gonna say that thug looks like he's doing pretty well for
2: himself. Yeah, the whole the whole famous scene where where we see the Joker from the back, and he's a like, mirror, mirror, and then he sees his his new face, and his clearly snaps. And he just goes nuts and starts laughing and smashes the mirror and walks out. Oh yeah, and that also brings up the point. This dude is a vet. Why is he going to a vet? Come on.
5: But he's got the permanent stretched out smile because of
2: it. The surgery has left him with like a permanent rictus grin. So it has been an extremely long
6: time since I watched this movie. I genuinely don't remember that Joker's smile was just facial prosthetics, not just lipstick. And I love that. I am just a whore for like... Real, tangible, practical effects. So this is just great where it's like forcing Jack Nicholson's mouth to be open and giving him this just f-ed up smile. It's so good.
0: So Jack at this point is is now the Joker.
2: The white skin with the green hair and the, the purple suits, it's all they all went like bright, sharp primary colors with it. I, mean, I know those is the Joker's colors, but you can mute them down like they do in the Dark Knight, but they went more you know prominent bright here and i think it works to tremendous effect
4: nicholson returns from the grave in a purple suit with bleached white skin green hair and some botched plastic surgery to get revenge on boss grissom
2: the joker looks excellent
5: and he goes back to kill grissom for being double crossed and the next thing we see is he's entering the mob boss's office mob boss is surprised to see that he's alive but all that we can see is the shadowy figure of the joker so grissom
0: lives in his office building or does he just have all the mobsters in his home in his tower that he conducts business out of or is he just there spending the night for his mistress i i don't know
5: joker tells him that he's not surprised that he turned on him something to that effect and ends up killing the mob boss and taking over before setting his sights on terrorizing Gotham and taking
4: out the Batman, with his newly licensed army of themed henchmen, including but not limited to his loyal number one man, Bob the Goon.
0: Anyways, Jack shoots Grissom a bunch of times and then he's dead.
4: Jack Nicholson's Joker might have the best Joker laugh. Mark Hamill's is up there, but Nicholson absolutely nails it. Still way more scarier than Cesar Romero
8: from the 66, but there we go. Wait till they get a load of me.
0: the love story is uh, ridiculous so bruce wayne apparently is infatuated with uh with vicky vale because she's showing up over for for dinner where they sit in a very large dining table
4: um i really enjoyed that awkward scene between vicky and bruce where he's all like i don't think i've ever been in this room before
8: they go out on a date once and that's a date at the wayne mansion and apparently that's such a an amazing night with Bruce Wayne that they fall in love straight away. Uh, There's no further dates. There's no montage sequence where you get to see them going out a few more times. You know, They spent one evening having a lovely time with Alfred. Uh, Alfred telling some amusing stories from his childhood, and that's it.
7: I loved you from the moment I met you. It's just eh, it's super rushed. It doesn't need to be there. I mean, I get it. Again, this is like transitional movie thing where I think people make changes to comic books for movies all the time, but this this among some other choices definitely feels like, oh, we need to kind of transform this into a more typical action-y
0: movie which includes like a a, a love interest through line bruce have you never have you never been on a date with a woman are you always this awkward i mean i guess this is an origin story so uh, all right
7: but like it that does not like with superman that makes sense there's lois lane with uh spider-man there's uh mary jane or gwen stacy but with batman (laughs) there's nobody the Batman's uh, one true love is beating
0: up low-level criminals. Like that's that's it. Meanwhile, Vicky Vale ends up spending the night with Bruce,
10: sleeping with her when they he probably should have just called her an Uber. She's like, "I'm drunk." He's like, "Let me carry you upstairs." And I totally, I thought like, "Oh, this is the part of the movie where he goes, oh, you know, I'd love to, I really want to, but it's you know, you're drunk or whatever, you're a little, you've had a little too much. Let's just." You can sleep in one of the many rooms no they totally bang or whatever
0: then bruce never sleeps he just hangs upside down like a bat working out and then he's hanging upside down in the morning vicky wakes bruce up on the couch wait what way they sleep together and then bruce goes hangs upside down and then he doesn't go back to bed he goes to the couch instead i mean if anything batman is someone i picture like
7: being angry that women exists in the world because he is sexually attracted to them and it creates a temptation that distracts him from the mission. So like, yeah, I'm imagining in in world that Bruce Wayne slash Batman has very um, unfun, dark uh, 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 thoughts in his head in relation to dating and and, in general. Uh, But again, that's, you know, maybe that's not a great (laughs) path to go down for a movie. So that's fair. That's fair. But also, we don't need to shoehorn in a love interest story. You know, you can you can make this work uh, without that, I think. And in this case, if you are going to do it, like, do it better, maybe? I don't know. It just... Too rushed, didn't make any sense. Not a fan. Not a fan.
10: And then he doesn't call her. Half of this movie is him not calling her.
7: Because he doesn't want to get
10: her involved in his dangerous life. Being Batman.
0: Bruce, you need you need therapy for a lot of reasons.
10: they also gotham too many press conferences
0: like oh the mayor is so set on having this bicentennial event he's threatening harvey dent and saying that he, that the, the mayor is going to use a shotgun to bring people to the bicentennial event i don't know do do we want this guy as mayor what is this guy? mayor borg his name is borg this is how you get assimilated
10: how many press conferences? There's a press conference. Half of this movie is press con- press conferences.
0: Now I understand that Harvey is the district attorney, but should the mayor be yelling at him? Shouldn't he be speaking with the commissioner a little bit more directly? Maybe he just wanted to yell at Lando Carisian.
10: A bunch of suits: the mayor, Harvey Dent, Commissioner Gordon. They're out there like five times in this movie, being like, "We gotta have this festival. It's the 200th festival, of 200th anniversary of Gotham. Gotta
0: have it, or else." The Joker wins. Jack has a meeting with the rest of Grissom's uh, lieutenants since he's killed Grissom to inform them that he is now taking over the the company.
4: They really lean hard into the mobster angle, which I like. It feels like a lot of these characters are ripped right out of an old film noir from the 30s, which is another reason I love this movie.
6: I do love how intentionally bad Joker's uh, normal human makeup is. It is... It's terrifying. It's honestly more terrifying than the Joker.
0: One guy looks like Albert Einstein.
4: Interesting. The scene with the mobsters and the electric buzzer is pretty over the top, but it totally works for me.
0: I like how when Joker is uh, electrocuting one of the lieutenants, the guy doesn't really react, even though he's apparently catching on fire due to the super-powered hand-a-buzzer.
4: Nicholson completely owns this whole movie.
0: The mob has a press
10: conference to say that they're taking over. Hey, just, we're organized crime, we're taking over this organized crime uh, division.
4: I love how almost immediately he has his henchmen decked out in Joker swag.
0: Grissom's lieutenants are then seen uh, leaving City Hall where the Joker shows up with a bunch of Joker cohorts and henchmen and take, take them all out, just murders them all. And now he's completely in charge of chrisom's operations
6: so uh, i gotta say joker's concern uh, about like the city safety is pretty valid because a bunch of mimes shoot up a federal building and one murders a leading mob boss and all the news can talk about is maybe batman is involved so you know joker has a point
0: oh mimes are so creepy oh god
5: soon after he starts declaring that he's an artist and he starts changing people's face and giving them smiles he does an experiment on his girlfriend at the time
6: i kind of wish uh, joker's chemical warfare thing had stretched a little further because it almost seemed like side referential but him using chemical warfare is great the idea that people who consume his product will turn into a joker is genuinely terrifying And I sort of feel like this movie should have, like, latched onto that a little bit more and carried that a little bit further.
4: The way the news is used as a framing device is also really effective. Very reminiscent of The Dark Knight Returns, but totally fits. Especially with this era of Batman.
0: Oh, hey, look, it's uh, the gun, boxing glove. I like how the Joker uses it to shut off the TV. Man, the Joker must really not like CRT TVs. But the damn thing's so heavy, it's on its own steel bar holding it up because he probably couldn't actually hold it with two hands to keep it straight. Joker becomes infatuated with Vicky Vale. Yeah, Joker randomly falls
10: in love with Vicky Vale out of nowhere. He just happens to see her picture.
0: And begins terrorizing Gotham with uh, hygiene products called Smilex. Deadly chemical that causes you to literally die laughing.
5: During the middle of a news report the broadcasters literally die laughing
0: with the same
4: Joker-ish grin. And the way the Joker hijacks the airwaves to show off his totally bonkers propaganda reel, basically spelling out his plan to poison Gotham with hair care products and GMOs or something.
0: Now the idea behind it is, you have already purchased all the products, so you may be using it already and you never know, which causes the entire city to stop using everything, shower gel, Body wash, deodorant, makeup. Everyone starts looking like garbage. Love that Joker.
5: And it comes out and it's figured out that somehow Joker is poisoning things, especially makeup products, to kill people. We get another news report letting the public know, and (laughs) the people are very distempered.
6: The news broadcast following uh, one girl dying of Joker's product use it's it's hilarious. Like, everyone's hair is terrible. Um, it's like they have intentionally bad makeup. The one dude now has, like, these massive zits on his face, um, which makeup would never be able to cover zits that large. But it reminds me of the Family Guy episode where people get 4K TVs and then suddenly the hosts are ugly.
5: And... <laughs> Intentionally don't have makeup on and don't look all beautified, which I think is a really fun aspect because they look like real people. And Tim Burton as a director is really good at making the normal seem both normal but also downtrodden.
0: So after the shooting at City Hall, Bruce goes home, he's talking with Alfred, and Alfred, for some reason, is gung-ho on Bruce telling Vicky the truth. Alfred is very invested in Bruce's love life. Why, Alfred? Why do you want him to just open up to the first person he's attached to? What if she doesn't accept him? What if she freaks out and reports him? Why do you think this would work, Alfred? You're a great butler, but you're a horrible sidekick right now.
5: Cut to the movie a little bit, and Vicky Vale and Bruce Wayne have known each other a little bit. Yeah, Joker
10: randomly falls in love with Vicky Vale. Out of nowhere, he just happens to see her picture. Bob Goon Bob, Goon Bob's out snapping pictures of Knox, ends up taking a picture of Vicky Vale. How these guys' lives are intertwined. He's killed his parents, ends up falling in love with his girlfriend. This poor lady's just trying to have a serious journalist career. She's got two complete cartoons of men hassling her at home. You've
8: got Vicki Vale, the photographer character. and Of course, when I was six years old, the whole adults kissing and, and lovey-dovey story stuff really didn't matter to me anymore. You know, I wanted Batman. I wanted action. I wanted fighting. I wanted him to uh, to be punching the Joker or stopping the Joker in some way. Um, I don't really care about all the lovey-dovey stuff, so certainly when I first watched the movie, way back when, I didn't really care about it. Upon re-watching it, um, I wasn't really missing out on much. And then she's got this other guy, the Joker. He
10: falls in love with her. I guess this whole city, She's it is, she is a very attractive lady. She looks cool. There's that one time she's got a little braid in her hair. She's got those cool hats. She's got good
5: outfits. Vicky calls bruce wayne's manor and alfred the butler picks up and S- vicky says she's going to be late to their date tonight alfred tells bruce and bruce realizes wait a second we didn't have a date tonight
0: joker is infatuated enough with Vale that he pretends to be bruce wayne to uh, to plan dinner with her at the museum
4: so at about the halfway point in this movie uh this has been much more of a joker movie than a batman movie That's when we get the museum
5: scene. And it cuts to Vicky in a restaurant, and she gets a gift that says, Open me, and it's a green and purple gas mask.
0: And then uh, crashes the party, killing everyone with uh, some of his toxic, smiley gas, I I guess.
5: The Joker floods the restaurant with gas and kills everybody.
0: But Vicky Vale doesn't die because he delivers her a a breathing mask. But she's just holding it on. Like, that that really needs to be suctioned to your face to actually work. You can't just, oh, I'm just gonna put this on. Vicky Vale stood up by Bruce Wayne
4: and then Joker poisons an entire art museum, does a musical dance number to Prince's party man as his goons vandalize the place. Also, he can have a one-on-one date with Vicky Vale. This is very much something the Joker would do.
6: (laughs) Hey, it's the paint scene. It's the single most memorable scene in the film, probably, yeah.
11: The campiest scene in the entire movie is the art gallery. Heist? Destruction? I mean, there's no method of the madness. Just crazy Joker shit.
7: The, the museum scene is fantastic, where him and his new gang that already have the little, like, emblems and decals and whatnot uh, go around vandalizing the art to... Uh, I guess it's Prince music?
0: You know, I'm not the biggest Prince fan, but Prince, Party Man, I'm okay with that. It it fits
7: also, they play that Prince song on a boombox. It's fantastic. It's, it's awesome. In, in the world of the movie itself, those goons are not just like going through the motions for their like crazy, shitty boss. They are vandalizing with style and panache. They are super into this task.
6: Chick gets the gift of a gas mask. You get the gaseous entrance, the music, the uh, recreation of art, as I like to call it.
7: It's probably a nice change of pace from like, you know, rolling people for their uh, uh, paychecks or or, I guess this is the Joker It would probably be like hiding joy buzzers, uh, lethal joy buzzers around the city. So, yeah, like if you're on museum vandalizing duty, that's going to feel like, oh, good. I drew a good task today. Oh, um, that whole thing's weird.
0: And Lawrence is awesome. He's got a big ass boom box just dancing around with it.
7: That
10: whole scene where uh, he's messing up the museum. I guess
0: you can't go wrong with Prince.
8: So cheeky. At the time, I, I remember that being a big thing. I wasn't a big Prince fan at the time. I being, you know, six year old kid, not really into sort of um, um, good music, I should say. <laughs> not having much taste at six year six years old. Freaks me out.
2: Joker's a weirdo. These Prince songs. I will say, I really, really, really hate the fact that he's like obsessed with playing Prince during all of his crimes. Such an odd choice.
11: I even like the part where Joker stops someone from vandalism, like, uh, not this one.
0: So we know Joker is a a little bit crazy, and that he loves Veil, but he wants to uh, scar her face, I guess? Okay. Uh,
4: This version fancies himself a homicidal artist. Which is an interesting take, and I have to say, when the Joker's wearing human-colored makeup over his deformed face, it's
11: pretty unsettling. Also, what's up with that art gallery? it's like a room the size of my house that has some expensive-ass paintings, like some really good stuff.
0: Apparently, I haven't been to enough high-end uh, museums. I didn't realize you could go in and, um, and dine at these places. But then again, I, I work in radio, so I don't know what it is like to make money.
11: FYI, um, in real life, Jack Nicholson collects actual art. Uh, like, he has a really big collection because he's been an actor for a billion years and has money. I wonder if he had some input on in what had to go in there. The, the whole art gallery is super weird. And then they have like a cafe at the top overlooking the gallery. Like who goes to that cafe? I mean, we have a really good cafe in our art gallery here in Jacksonville, but I mean, I don't just, I don't know, it's so weird.
4: Vicky asks, what do you want? He says, my face on the
8: $1 bill. You must be joking. Do I look like I'm joking? Speaking of the comedy beats though, I do appreciate them. They're, they're not in your face. They're not over the top. Uh, the moment where uh, Kim Basinger, where they're in the museum and, uh, you know, uh, he says, does this look like a face that, <laughs> that uh, makes jokes or that I'm joking? And she kind of goes, well, yeah, OK, maybe it's just dry, very dry, um, not in your face comedy. And it's those kind of moments that I appreciate. So after Joker tries to
0: squirt Veil in the face with something that'll make her skin melt, she throws water in his face and then she shows concern for him. What? Wh- no.
4: No! It's bad! This moment where Vicky splashes his face with water is fantastic. And we get that epic moment where Batman crashes through the
5: skylight.
6: The the mob meeting was a great introduction to the new Jack, but this is the moment that the Joker is solidified.
5: Batman shows up and rescues her, and we get the first incarnation of Joker saying, where does he get those wonderful toys? Which... Joker's got some pretty wonderful
11: toys himself. Batman sweeps Vicky up, grapples both of them out of there. One gadget that stood out to me was the double-sided z- zipline. I'm pretty sure we get that in the Arkham games at some point, plus Lego Batman in the game.
4: Where does he get those wonderful toys?
6: If you're a fan of this podcast
0: and want to see it continue,
6: help support us on Patreon, where you can unlock
4: tons of exclusive content, including, but not limited to,
0: movie commentaries,
4: ad-free versions of our promo specials,
11: extended cuts,
4: early access to new
6: episodes, behind-the-scenes clips, first access to merchandise,
0: blooper reels, and even a chance to vote on what we cover next on our Podcasters Disassembled episodes.
6: Just head right on over to patreon.com slash podcasters assemble. That's
11: p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash podcasters assemble.
4: Link in the show notes.
2: Joining me is Eric Slater, my name is Chris Carroll, and this is Comic Zombie.
9: I freeze. I'm Batman. I am the law of the Gemidorm!
4: So, Batman kills a lot of people in this movie.
2: Dude, he kills so many people
4: in this movie they had the Hal Jordan Green Lantern yeah. but one of the alternates was the John Stewart Green Lantern yep. and they even did the animated voice yep for uh, Lamar
2: back when Stan was writing those books they were you know 15 pages or 17 pages and you get it done in one issue and you're out the door yeah. uh, Bendis took six issues to tell Amazing Fantasy 15 I'm just laughing as I'm saying it because it sounds is stupid it, it, wasn't he designed by Jim Lee and I love me some Walking Dead I just feel <laughs> bad for the poor bastard that has to ring that bell It's stares bro. And I'm certain I'm not going to be surprising anybody with this one because I think this is universally recognized as the worst superhero game, much less comic book game, much less maybe even video game. Superman 64. Days of Future Past in the comic, everyone you know is dead. It's pretty dark right out the gate. Alfred may be a good butler, but he's the worst secret keeper of all- time. We're going to be talking about a lot of different stuff, ranging from comics to movies to TV shows, all kinds of stuff that we like, that we don't like, probably be a little bit more vocal about the stuff that we don't like. Uh, I'm looking right at you, Halle Berry's Catwoman. Anyway, uh, ComicZombie.net, check it out, and I hope you enjoy. Thanks.
9: Comic Zombie.
0: From Eric Slater creator of epic fails of history comes a bold new vision of the future in his latest book 2299. 2299 is a sci-fi noir about a detective on the edge of the abyss while investigating a cold case on Vanaheim a space station orbiting Neptune Desmond Faust finds himself ensnared in a web of lies and murder the closer he gets to discovering the truth the more aware he becomes that he might not leave this place alive. Eric Slater's twenty two ninety nine is available now on Amazon. Get in the car. Which one? The, one? the one that looks like a bat, Vale. The one that looks like a bat.
2: Oh, the Batmobile.
4: Next we get another one of the most iconic moments in Batman history. The reveal of the Batmobile. This version of the Batmobile is so good. It is outstanding.
5: Which, I love this Batmobile. It's, oh, it's fantastic. It looks so good.
0: Oh, God, I love this Batmobile.
2: The Batmobile is freaking awesome in this movie. It's iconic. I love this version of the Batmobile. Get in the car. Which one? The fight and chasing
11: downtown after the uh, art museum thingamajig. Uh, when the Batmobile had to shoot a hook to make a turn sharper turn around the corner. uh, That was pretty fun.
3: It just looks so ridiculously cool, even though it's not practical in the slightest.
4: Now, I love the 60s Batmobile. I think it's one of the only things that actually holds up from the Adam West era. But Tim Burton's
2: Batmobile might be the best one to date. Uh, it, It just, you know, everything about it is freaking sweet.
0: I still have the Micro Machine and Hot Wheels versions of that car
4: somewhere. Inspired by H.G. Geiger's style, this thing is like if a slick sports car, a jet engine, and a goth had a weird beautiful baby. It's sleek, armored, stealthy, and unlike anything else we'd seen before. Most of all, it's black, which, you know, makes sense for a vigilante operating under the radar at night.
2: The way it's got like a jet engine on it, its speed, it's, it's got the fins, like it's, it looks awesome.
0: Uh, for the longest time, this was my favorite Patmobile. Everything about this vehicle is cool. I love how Joker's men, while during this pursuit, are just randomly shooting guns in the air, just out the window. Not even at the Batmobile half the time. Just guns out the windows. Pew, 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 pew. What happens if they hit Vale? If they hit Vicky, boy is Joker going to be pissed off.
6: Okay, so, like, kind of random. uh, So when Batman and Chica are running from the clowns and end up in an alleyway, there's this dude that, like, leaps over a fence and starts doing all these, like, whack moves like he's on the set of a Van Damme movie. Ooh,
8: badass ninja fight! Overall, the action in this movie feels very stilted.
6: Whenever there's a fight scene, though, you
4: can kind of tell he can't move that well. It's pretty stiff, he can't even move his neck.
8: Um, it, it doesn't really come together for me as much as, I, as much as I seem to remember it being back in the day.
4: But at least the fight scenes are filmed in a way where you can actually see what's
11: going on. And when Batman shoots Vicky up into the railing thing... The whole how much do you weigh thing was good because what is he going to do if she said like 140? Dude, Basinger is hot, but like, don't risk her life on a potential escape route if you're not exactly sure your your hardware is going to take care of it.
0: So Batman's got body armor on his chest, but not his head, not his legs, not his arms. Boy, it's good that everyone just goes for body shots.
5: The next couple of scenes I just absolutely love batman is driving vicky back to the Batcave in the batmobile what i don't understand
11: about the batmobile he was driving regular streets and through woods of connecticut or something and then bam cave if you know the general area you'd be like wait bruce wayne lives around here
6: you know batman's doing this like lengthy driving sequence uh down a road and i ain't even mad but
4: man those shots where it's racing through the forest down those deserted back roads are
6: epic as hell We get blessed with this entire badass track. This is like, I don't know, I would probably normally be really upset by this in a movie, but like, it works. There's just something about it that's fitting. It's like really building up the moment.
5: She's trying to get a look at him and see closely because the bottom half of his face is uncovered, and his distraction is he just turns on a light on the car door above him so it blinds her and stops
0: her from looking at it never noticed it before but the batmobile comes equipped with super bright blinding lights so that if you're ever in the passenger seat and you're getting a little close to batman like you're gonna start necking he can turn it on and blind you
11: it's so simple but so funny i mean i understood vicky vale isn't from around there but still if someone followed him he'd be screwed
4: Then we get the Batcave. Uh, they get to the Batcave.
0: Man, the Batcave is so spread out in random locations for random computers. And-
6: the Batcave in this movie is also spectacular.
0: Why not have every- everything at the same level? Why do you have ladders?
6: The first time we're in the Batcave is when we are finally shown how grandiose a layout is by displaying the depth.
4: I like my Batcave to be an actual, you know, Batcave, complete with stalactites and absolutely no railings.
6: There's no perceivable height to the cave, but it is absolutely a long way down and gives the uh, reverse feeling as Gotham City does. So you have the city that, like, never ends as it goes upwards and then the
5: Batcave that never ends going downwards.
0: Very odd-looking cave.
5: And Batman explains that he's figured out it's not just any one product, and that's what the police are looking for.
0: He gives her all the information of what cosmetics have been tampered with and what the dangerous combinations are
5: it's a bunch of products joker has poisoned a whole bunch of chemicals at the source but it's only when they're combined do they
0: become deadly hands it to vicky so she can get the word out to everyone and so we can start showering and scrubbing our nether regions again gotham has been going on a two-day abstinence run
4: also the back computer looks so retro but that would make for an awesome gaming setup
5: He lets Vicky know, gives her all this information. And she says something like, well, the public also doesn't trust you. He doesn't seem to care too much about this. And so she finally asks if there's anything that... And Batman says, there is one thing I want from you. And he flashes up his cape and the screen goes dark and we cut to Vicky in her apartment. And I'm just thinking, oh, no, are we getting really kind of territory? And she comes to, she wakes up. And she realizes her film is gone. So the pictures she's taken of him have disappeared. That made me feel a lot better. And makes me feel like this movie holds up pretty well. And isn't going into some bad territories. One of my favorite
3: scenes in this movie is actually not a Batman scene. It is the scene in Vicky's apartment.
5: Then we see
0: Bruce come to Vicky's apartment. Alfred still there pushing this whole tell Vicky Vale the truth. So Bruce goes over to Vicky's apartment. D- Did she tell him where she lives or is he just stalking her? And he tries to
5: healthfully communicate that he's Batman. I think this is a great example of healthy male communication that we don't get a lot of anymore these days.
6: I don't know how, if, if I like really like or dislike uh, awkward Bruce trying to tell the girl that he's Batman, I think I do for this iteration, like Batman on the whole, I think it would be sort of dumb, but I think Keaton's Batman specifically, like, this moment works.
0: Well, before he can tell her the truth that he's Batman, which is taking an absurdly long time for him to spit it out, Joker shows up. The Joker interrupts. With Lawrence and some beautiful music
3: i i really like the joker coming in here the joker has a couple of great entrances in this movie where he has goons carrying boom boxes for him so that he can score his own uh actions which is pretty great but i especially like in this scene when he goes over and like crankily shuts the b- boom box off because bruce wayne has intruded upon his his uh his big moment here bruce
0: anticipates that he may get shot so he grabs some sort of silver steel tray and Uses that as body armor,
5: and a really great scene plays out where Bruce acts a little crazy.
3: And then Bruce is wonderful, where he's telling Jack this story about a kid who you know grew up on the wrong side and became violent, and blah 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 blah. And then he picks up the fire poker and he's like, You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. And you know, that line is so great, and I know that line is from this movie, but honestly. I always think that
5: that's a Joker line because it's just
3: so out there for Bruce Wayne to scream. You want
2: to
0: get nuts?
5: Joker then pulls out a gun, says, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Tell me,
4: have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight?
5: Pulls the trigger, shoots him.
4: Bruce is down.
0: Bruce is very lucky that everyone again, always goes for body shots that they never just shoot him in the head and double tap.
3: Uh, of course he's doing it all so that the Joker will shoot him. And he put a, a silver plate in his
5: chest for some reason joker leaves vicky follows and then turns back and bruce is gone
0: after the joker leaves vicky runs back to check on bruce but bruce is gone and then she immediately gives up looking for him
5: and she finds the silver plated tray that has a bullet hole in it and knows that he's safe i don't actually
3: understand why he did this But the other greatest thing of this scene, of course, is the line where Joker says, tell me, have you ever danced with the devil by the pale moonlight? And then Bruce is like, what did you say? And he's like, I say that to all my prey. I just think it sounds good, which is another great moment of Joker being crazy. But also uh, it gave us the title for one of the best Star Trek episodes ever. So, hey, that's good, too.
0: So the mayor's about to postpone this bicentennial parade when Joker takes over the TV uh, channel and says, no, 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 carry on. I will now be the host.
10: That's a good bit. When Joker takes over the TV, takes over the press conference, he's only on half the TVs, and he's sort of letting the mayor talk back. Okay, so
6: now we're at the announcement of the uh, cancellation of the 200th anniversary party, and the Joker has taken over the screens yet again.
10: Then he's had enough, and he kind of just pushes his hand. (laughs) What was the viewer at home seeing? I think only he just, like, pushed... No, just kind of pushes them away.
6: These are probably... These two sequences where he takes over television are probably some of the best-utilized scenes in the film. For one, there's no explanation as to how he's doing this. He just is, there's no tech, there's no explanations pulled out of the ass, it's just happening. The first time he takes over is to better introduce the public to his insanity with a weird commercial. Uh, The second displays the people of Gotham while Joker is monologuing and putting the blame on Batman.
0: At midnight, I'll be giving away a million dollars, one million dollars trying to get the city on his side and bring everybody uh, in for the party. Bruce begins digging into his parents' murder because something the Joker says jogs his memory of what he heard the night his his parents were murdered.
6: The dude who plays uh, young Jack Napier might actually be creepier than Jack Nicholson, but only when he's smiling.
0: And he puts it together that the Joker, at least in this incarnation of Batman,
8: is the one that murdered his parents you've got michael keaton who talks about his life being complex but doesn't really go into any reasons why he is doing this and uh, it's almost left to our own devices to imbue that with a bit of power and, uh, and substance which is quite strange because obviously that is something they don't do with joker they are very straightforward this is what the joker does he will then become the villain again spending 40 minutes on his backstory but batman doesn't get the backstory there is a very brief moment at the very end of the movie where they will go into you know Crime alley and the pearls dropping and you know um, Martha uh, is just gonna you know the scream and there's shots fired. but unlike some of the other Batman films, it doesn't dwell on that it, it gives you the scene but it doesn't really uh, play as big a part in this movie as you would expect. It's almost as if Tim Burton wants to make the Joker movie and not the Batman.
2: I really hate the bit where Bruce is kind of trying to avoid Vicky, and Alfred's response is to bring her
8: into the Batcave. Um, it's very strange, and it, it is for me another weak point of the movie that they felt that they needed to have it to be this kind of love story and they didn't really have the faith in you know kim basinger being this smart intelligent photographer who kind of figures out who brace wayne is you know there's an allusion to that when she's following him into crime alley and and the 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 rose is being tossed down but it, it feels like it just didn't have the, the gumption to really follow through with that And she figured out that he was Batman all by herself And it had to be done by Alfred just leading her into the Batcave
0: Now in the Batcave Alfred brings Vicky in to just say hey so he's Batman Speaking of Alfred le- leads her into the Batcave I mean just,
1: where's the security man
8: for crying out loud
1: one might argue that him letting Vicki Vale into the Batcave was a big WTF moment for the character. If he's really bad with the security, though. Like, oh,
2: hey, uh, you know that photojournalist? Yeah, I'm going to just give her the biggest scoop in the world and tell her that the Batman is Bruce f***ing Wayne. Like, you are the worst, worst, worst secret keeper ever. I mean, the worst.
0: I mean, Alfred, you're... In, in so many ways, you're a great wingman, but not when, you know, Bruce needs to keep his identity a secret. Come on, man.
2: The only one that I would even put even close to you as far as, like, shitty secret keepers is Peter frickin' Pettigrew from Harry
0: Potter. Like, you suck, dude. You really suck. You, you're doing everything for a good a good guy. Great. Wonderful. One wonderful wingman. But not when secret identities are a thing. Alfred. No. Bad Alfred. Bad
4: but he's out there right now, and I have to go to work. The music ramps up, and Batman suits up. Bad ass.
0: Batman then takes off in the Batmobile to take out Axis Chemicals.
11: Something that was hardcore about this movie and the sequel: Batman kills the shit out of some criminals.
2: A lot of people die. Now, interesting thing to note. Batman kills a lot of people in this movie. Uh, a, a point of contention I've always had in this film is that Batman kills a shit ton of people in this movie.
10: Batman kills basically everyone in this movie.
2: Bombs, bullets, tossing people to their death.
10: That's
11: basically what the movie is.
0: Oh, I, re- I know the scene from the opening of the NES game.
4: The NES game for this movie was super hard, but kind of awesome. It kills a lot.
10: People die every 30 seconds in this movie.
11: Dude doesn't even have a no-kill rule. I'm pretty sure that was a comics-only thing for a while or something, but this movie wasn't messing around.
10: And, and I mean,
11: this Batmobile, it takes out a building.
0: The Batmobile rolls in, drops a little orb, blows up the, uh, the access chemical plant. Time number three?
10: He kills a bunch, he blows up. He blows up the factory, the chemical factory.
3: Like, it blows up the entirety of Ace Chemicals, killing a lot of people in the process. There's
10: guys standing five feet from... The Batmobile, when it drops that little round, little bomb that suddenly blows up the entire, like,
0: huge-looking building. And you can't tell me that those people didn't die. I mean, come on. You know, Batman doesn't kill anybody. Well, maybe not directly right now, but he definitely kills some of those those guys. They were standing right there when this bomb went off. Those those guys are dead. Those
2: guys are dead? Yeah. Those guys are dead. Uh, he kills all of the Joker's henchmen, well, except for Bob and a couple other them so maybe Joker killed yes those guys are dead so
6: batman himself uh drops explosives from the wheel of the batmobile and murders everyone in that plant absolutely no mercy
10: but batman killed those men probably because they're goons
4: this whole sequence where batman basically blows up Axis chemicals is really freaking cool even if it's a bit out of character but it blows up an entire building and that's pretty good
11: for a batmobile
4: this is more like something the punisher would do but the punisher doesn't have a badass remote
2: control batmobile
11: anyway the batman has rockets and cannons and batman kills people with
2: it tossing to their deaths shooting them blown up with bombs i mean right and left there's no blood
10: it's pg-13 but people die every few minutes and we also get the joker copter
6: see as of right now i don't know if they ever listed a real number but i feel like batman has probably killed more people than the joker
4: it's pretty jarring if you're coming from the comics or pretty much any other version of Batman, uh, because he's usually known for not killing or not using guns in general. But there are certainly some exceptions to that.
11: Hard to think about that now when Batman just gives like, you know, solid concussions and $30,000 of the medical bills for all the broken limbs and possible opiate abuse.
4: Probably. In his earliest appearances back in Detective Comics, he had absolutely no qualms with killing or using guns.
10: They're Joker guns. A lot of really good goons. A lot of really good
0: goons in this movie.
10: There's a
2: parade. The parade.
0: Oh, now it's party time. We get some more prints.
2: Much later in the film, a lot of stuff happens that I'm not going to get into, but there's a bicentennial parade the Joker hijacks, and he starts. Going around blaring Prince music because they had
8: a soundtrack to sell. It's something that I've sort of come to appreciate later on as I became a Prince fan, as I grew older. Uh, but the, it's barely noticeable in the entire movie. You know, it's made such a big deal in the title sequence. But of all the two songs of Prince that you really get played throughout the movie, um, the fact that there is an entire album that, of Bat Dance songs uh, that he put together, you could barely notice You wouldn't even know that Prince was uh, attached to this movie. It could just be incidental music in the background, um, as opposed to the Danny Elfman music, which does stand out. For some
2: reason, whether he's defacing a not-quite-museum, not-quite-restaurant, or, or trying to, to coerce the people of Gotham to come out into the street and party with him, Prince is the go-to on Prince's worst album, the Batman soundtrack. Just... Dee,
8: dee, dee, just
0: now i've got all these people in gotham just getting together for the bicentennial joker's giving out money oh look at all the money flowing
10: dance he does where he just kind of throws arm his arms out who loves you baby joker loves you anyway uh, <laughs> i'm giving away free money
0: i think there's actually a deleted scene that shows how all this money that was being given out was counterfeit and that joker had re- replaced the president I don't know if it was Washington or how big the bills were, but Joker's face is on all of them.
10: And where's the Batman? He's at home. Washing his (laughs) tights. Joker throws a
4: random parade where he throws up millions in cash to the people of Gotham before attempting to poison
2: them all with his parade balloons. Batman interrupts. He starts gassing people. His balloon, the, the parade floats, which are like the most Tim Burton floats I've ever seen, are all full of Joker gas, and they start gassing everybody right and left, which is actually a really cool scene.
0: Wait, Joker didn't gather everyone here to be the good guy? He's going to murder them all with gas? Oh, no, I did not see this coming.
10: Knox has got a great hero moment. doesn't help anything. when uh, During the parade, you know, the gas, he puts on a little mask. A little K-95 or whatever. And
0: yeah, this is not how masks work. You, like, you can't just put on a painter's mask and run around in poisonous gas. You're not You're not going to be safe.
10: Grabs a bat and he, he takes out a couple goods. He sends one of the balloons floating away. I mean, that's, that's some hero level shit right there. He's helping out.
6: Pandemonium in the streets as Joker's gas is killing people uh, and one of his henchmen, lifted up by a balloon falls in the dead center of an action news van and the antennae on top explode you gotta love like the 90s use of explosions it makes it makes no sense the the antennae would not explode they would bend uh, but they would not explode this is this is great i said 90s i meant 80s and 90s
10: he doesn't know that batman's about to swoop in with a
0: plane scoop them all up and just one Run. One clean run. And also Vicky being in the car. That's not safe. It's not airtight. Aw, yeah. Batwing. The
3: Batplane, on the other hand,
4: the Batplane is so dumb. I love the Batwing in this movie. Uh, it, It comes out of nowhere. There's no setup for it whatsoever, and it's awesome.
0: This is also part of my Micro Machine collection. Man, I gotta find that. I had that toy
4: as a kid, it just brings back a lot of fond memories over this movie. Uh, my Uncle Jimmy was a huge comic book nerd, and this was the kind of stuff we bonded over. He was also a massive Trekkie, which is probably why I'm now a co-host on a Star Trek podcast as well.
2: He is stopped when Batman flies in in the Batwing, which looks f- sweet, his plane.
11: At one point, the Batplane. Also, where the hell did
2: he get a Batplane?
11: Uh, I'll bring it up next movie about his gadgets, but...
6: You know, I realized... There is no Bat-Jet launch sequence or Batmobile launch sequence. It is a two-hour movie and there are no launch sequences. But uh, don't worry, uh, Batman and Robin's got you covered.
8: It's the model shots, the, the Batwing, um, the, the flimsiness of some of it. Um, it just doesn't seem to work for me. The whole balloon scene at the festival, uh, cutting through the balloons and everything, it doesn't really hold up for me now as it did back then.
2: And uh, is able to, like, hook the poison gas balloons and soar them up into the sky where they're not a danger to anybody other than birds and wherever the currents take it.
0: It's really convenient that the Batwing has this giant gripping hook catcher for giant parade balloons? Just in case this was a thing.
5: He steals all of Joker's
0: balloons
5: that had chemicals and gas that he was going to kill people with.
0: But Batman is always prepared for everything, so I guess it makes sense. That's the gag. That's the funniest gag about
10: Batman is that he always has, somehow always has the exact tool that he needs for the job. The later movies sort of rectify where he's like, I think maybe I, I got stabbed. Maybe I need a better armor here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna maybe need a car that I can jump over things. Let me, can we think about building that? But in this one and like the cartoons, like yeah, it's like, it's like the shark spray. He just happens to have. A plane with clamp on the front that can like scoop up five balloons, fly them up high, <laughs> clip, just clip the little wires and they go away. What was that for? What was that the original intention of that for? For poison balloon parade?
5: And takes them away and releases them into the sky, saves the people.
3: I like it's in this. Okay. I guess it gets rid of the balloons. That's a good thing.
4: Batman swoops in with the Batwing and after taking a moment to pose in front of the moon, gets rid of all the balloons. But really, it feels like it's just in this movie for the shot
3: where it's in front of the moon and then it looks like the bat symbol.
0: Oh, Batwing on the moon. That's hot.
2: There's actually a really cool shot, too, when he lets go of the balloons and he flies up in front of the moon. So it kind of looks like the bat signal and then drops back down. Very cool.
3: And you know what? It's a good
8: shot. It's a good shot. But it kind of feels it feels a little ham-fisted. As a six-year-old, I absolutely love this bit. Uh, he's cutting through the balloons. He's dragging them away. Favorite character in the movie? Um, I mean,
7: I really like Jack Nicholson's Joker. But as a character, I also really liked uh, uh, the person listed as Bob the Goon, who is that uh, character actor, Tracy something. Um, is that Walter? tracy i did look it up and now i don't remember what
10: was his plan just oh, he killed so many people with it that such a scary gas gonna make you smile and die That shit's so funny
3: the best example of the joker being just absolutely crazy in this iteration of batman is when his balloons get taken away during the parade batman just swoops in in his Batplane and takes away his balloons that are full of joker gas and joker's so sad about it he just keeps being like My balloons. He took my balloons.
4: You gotta love Joker's dejected reaction here.
3: He took my balloons! And he's not like, how dare the hero foil my plan, he's just upset because he lost his balloons.
11: He stole my balloons. He stole my balloons. So upset that he shoots Bob. Bob the goon was good. I like how he dies for failing Joker.
6: Okay, so Joker just did uh, probably the dumbest thing he could do in this entire movie, and that was kill the only henchman who was worth anything.
4: Joker then
7: shoots his loyal henchman, Bob, with his own gun. Um, but yeah, he's like the guy, you you see him, and you're like, oh yeah, I've definitely seen a movie with him in it. Like uh, For me, it's always Repo Man that I think of uh, what he's in. Again, reading about this movie, apparently Jack Nicholson had requested they give this guy a role in the movie
0: which I think is delightful that 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 guy and Jack Nicholson are friends of some kind now after Batman steals the balloons and Joker is obviously upset I never understood this part that he asks Bob for a gun Bob hands him the gun and then he just shoots Bob
7: and it's just it's just it's just wonderful he's just such a perfect henchman
0: is this supposed to be because he's so upset and he's so crazy that he'll just kill anybody? I don't, I don't know if that's, if that's what you're trying to go for, I, I guess, but I, I think there could have been a better way to, to set that up.
7: Bob the Goon, gone too soon. R.I.P. my man. <laughs> He's done dirty in the end, but you know what I mean? Like you hang with a guy like, um, with a Joker and that's, that's, that's what you can expect out of life, I guess.
6: Bob, you were too good for the Joker.
7: Dude was hands down the best henchman
4: since Lex Luthor's Otis.
6: You never fully appreciated your own value, only the value that the Joker placed upon you.
0: As Batman is continuing to descend into the city to take out the Joker, I mean, he's got an arsenal on the Batwing. Uh, So Batman,
2: who is like I've established in permanent murder mode, sights his plane's guns on the Joker.
10: Shoots him with machine guns. Shoots from the Batplane. Two giant machine guns. Full bursts.
11: Anyway, the Batplane has rockets and cannons. And Batman kills people with it.
0: And he
10: kills, oh yeah, so many goons.
0: Machine guns, rockets, he's taking out the parade floats that are left, but he misses the Joker completely. Goons are dying left and right, fully, full
10: blast. He's got the target, he's got a targeting computer.
2: And fires, and somehow misses.
10: He's got a special targeting computer with a circle right around Joker's face, and he pulls the trigger. I have no idea how he misses. As cool as the Batwing is,
4: though, this part where he's shooting at Joker and misses makes Batman look super incompetent. I kind of wish they had revealed that Joker had some kind of radio interference device or, or something. Just no explanation for that whatsoever.
2: I'm sure it's a very good targeting system. It's not like Bruce cuts corners, but whatever. With missiles and huge machine guns and they just happened to miss
0: so batman were you trying to scare the joker or are you just an awful shot what were you doing
10: they just happened to miss fully intended to kill him murder him
0: maybe batman should have used the force like luke did The Joker's definitely bigger than a Womp Rat. He should have hit him.
4: We also get an interesting callback to this moment in The Dark Knight where Joker is egging on Batman to hit him while he's driving toward him on the bike.
0: Joker then pulls this
2: hysterically long-barreled revolver out of his pants.
0: And also, the Batwing is taken up by a single shot of a big-ass pistol. During the
11: parade, which was crazy in and of itself, Joker pulls out the longest revolver known to man.
10: And I do love when he misses... And the Joker pulls out that impossible pistol
2: and then that shoots the
10: plane down it's so good.
2: And in one shot takes out an armored jet. So, <laughs> what the fuck? No idea how that happens. It's really silly, but you know, it's the Joker, so who cares?
0: I mean, granted, it's a big ass pistol with a three foot barrel, but. What caliber of bullet did you shoot in that thing?
8: Joker takes down the Batplane with a gun. The the whole standoff where the, the massive gun from Joker having been shot at with rockets and, and machine gun fire, uh, completely unscathed, and he gets out one gigantic gun from his trousers and pulls it off. Again, one of those really dry, uh, unexpected moments of comedy um, in, in what is attempting to be a really dark take.
11: Now, time for Florida Man to speak up. But a long barrel, you're trying to get more stability. In modern firearms, you want rifling. That adds stability, and you can shoot straighter and farther. But you also need the right bullets. A revolver usually does not carry the right bullets to be completely compatible with, compatible with a long barrel firearm. Sure, there are some exceptions, and like the Henry uses the same 45 they they've used in the Colt, but it's... <sighs> You're using it for comparing capacity, it's, it's it's a whole thing. Anyway, supposedly Joker's gun shoots exploding bullets, which, even then, you'd have to do a sabot round or something.
10: Uh, that crazy pistol. I don't understand how the gun works. If it was made of metal, you wouldn't even be able to, like, hold it with one hand. It's just a
11: <laughs> Also, the thing has, like, a collapsing
4: barrel. It's just... This whole movie is style over substance, but it totally works. It's dumb. The
2: whole thing comes down hilarious. So yeah, he crashes the plane and he's all jacked up and Vicky's trying to get Batman out of the wreckage and Joker comes up, puts a gun to her head and looks up at the building they're in front of, which is the Gotham City Cathedral.
5: So there's a few things about the end that throw me for a loop. Batman crashes, the Joker kidnaps Vicky Vale, takes her up this giant bell tower.
0: So the Batwing crashes at the gotham cathedral and the gotham city cathedral is the tallest
2: church there has ever been this this
4: skyscraping church in the middle of gotham is probably the tallest building in the entire city
0: joker's calling for a helicopter to pick him up at the top
11: first of all why the hell is there a wooden and concrete
0: cathedral like 80 stories up it's 800 freaking feet uh how how tall is this cathedral this is the biggest damn thing in the city
6: yo is this the uh the gargoyles church
4: like it's crazy how tall that thing is.
6: Because, um, this, this church looks a lot like the one in Gargoyles.
0: How? Hold on. Where are you, Google? Okay, Gotham ca- Cathedrals, 800 feet tall. How? What the
11: hell? It's
0: absurd. That is f***ing huge.
6: Just, like, the same height into the air, like, overlooking the entire city. Uh, I, wonder, I wonder if, like, Xanados... Z- Xanados? Xanathos? was uh, leasing uh, the church for the gargoyles to, like, chill out there. You know, this is, like, Gotham's church, and then he's just leasing it. Or maybe Gotham was leasing it from uh, Gargoyles' homeboy.
2: It's clearly abandoned. And why they would abandon, like, a $100 million church, I'll never know. But the city is, like, 200 years old, and the cathedral looks like it was built back then.
11: How? How in the hell was this thing built on an island known for earthquakes? See Batman Cataclysm.
0: Joker says that he's gonna need... 10 minutes 10 minutes to go up 800 feet that's roughly 74 to 80 stories all right you could probably do that in 10 minutes if you're at peak physical condition joker is not in peak physical condition and vicky has heels on that ain't happening
2: anyway uh joker is marching vicky Vale up the stairs of the tallest cathedral clock tower in any reality there has ever been but like why why would this this doesn't follow any all the buildings are like
11: i don't know 20 30 stories because it's like film the War*, but this this thing's like 80 stories it's crazy
4: the inconsistency though in these bird and schumacher movies has always bothered me like that cathedral should be a prominent feature of the skyline in every movie that follows
11: i think we get some taller buildings in the second movie with like the shrek stuff but even then And then Batman climbs up 200 stories of rickety
4: wooden stairs to the top of the tallest cathedral imaginable.
2: And Batman, who, like I said, is jacked up from the plane crash, follows behind. Batman gets his ass kicked a lot in this movie. Seriously, guys, this thing is so freaking tall. Like, this is huge.
3: Campiest thing about this movie. Boy, that's tough, because this movie is campy in a lot of ways, but it's... it's It's a different kind of camp, but I think my favorite moment of just utter absurdity is when Batman is following, uh, the Joker and Vicky up the clock tower or the bell tower and has to look up and he has to lean way back to look up because the, the, the cowl does not allow him to,
0: to look around.
6: Batman's complete inability to turn his head kind of really sells the persona of this specific character.
0: Lastly, Michael Keaton was very claustrophobic in the uh in the bat suit. He was not a fan of wearing the costume he, well, one, he couldn't turn his head at at all. Uh two, he was just downright uncomfortable. And if he did turn his head, he would end up destroying the cowl. So pretty much he's facing forward the uh the entire movie. So in order to look back, he has to bend his whole torso back. And I don't
3: think that's intentional camp, but it's it's pretty good. Batman ascends it.
0: So Batman eventually makes it all the way to the top where there are cronies. Where did these cronies come from? How did they get up here before Joker or after Joker? They didn't go up after Joker because Batman went up immediately after Joker. I know, plot device.
5: There's a fight scene with some thugs. That's pretty cool. The scene where Joker's
4: dancing while Batman's fighting is really clever.
0: So we have a ninja guy with boot knives. Oh, okay. That's a thing.
6: Batman has a hidden dick punch weapon where some might have a hidden knife. It's all about
0: priorities. And Batman has a boot stopping device that shoots out from his glove.
7: He has everything. Overall, the movie is pretty light on action sequences. I mean, there are. There are technically what you would call fight sequences, but.
8: But yeah, the the fight scenes and everything else it it still feels stilted and I I don't know whether that is the fault of things like the costume, the Batman costume um, being unable to turn his head and so forth It, it just feels blocky, it feels stagey it feels very much of its time, and it is something that I appreciated as the more modern movies, the The Dark Knight and so forth, took it on and really applied some real-world logic to it. How would a man have to fight if he was armoured in such a way that he could take on multiple assailants and feasibly win? The fight all the way up to the top of the belfry as uh, uh, Batman is, is hunting down the Joker, uh, that is the most memorable bit for me, and it is actually the only part of the movie uh, with my kids in the room uh, as I was trying to sort of make notes and watch through this uh, it's the only bit that grabbed their attention up to this point they'd spent 40 minutes establishing Joker's character they'd spent another half an hour actually getting to the point of what Joker was trying to do with the smilex gas they really snoozed through everything else the love story the characters everything but the final battle in the uh, cathedral between the two of them was the only bit that held their attention this is it's
7: nothing like what you would expect from a big budget movie today
0: oh that's a big guy beating the crap out of batman
6: okay this ray charles looking henchman is doing a number on batman is this like character's existence in response to lethal weapon because this dude is having a really successful fight against the bat and uh it kind of came out of nowhere like no one anywhere has been able to really lay a hand on him and then this one homeboy is just, like, mopping the floor with him.
0: Now, when Batman hits him on the bell and throws him down... De- that guy's definitely dead. Batman killed another guy. Batman has killed a lot of guys in this movie.
10: Uh, a lot of goons
2: die. A lot of goons killed. Seriously, guys, this thing is so freaking tall. Uh, when Batman throws a henchman down the tower, he falls forever. And he doesn't even hit the bottom.
10: Batman throws one of that guy he flips just falls through the floor of the cathedral up you fall down there just go when the bell falls
2: so uh joker's dancing around with with vicky and she's kind of limp like just like please let this nightmare end as batman's fighting his goons and
4: joker says beauty and the beast but if anyone else
2: calls you beast i'll rip their lungs out Once the last one's down, Vicky uses an opportunity to try to distract the Joker, and she does that by pretending to be like super into him all of a sudden, which is very gross, and like kissing up his arm, be like, "Oh, Mister Joker, you're purple, oh," and he's like really into it, which is really gross.
6: Keaton's bland and blatantly bad delivery of the pale moonlight line is uh, pretty great. He's just over the joker's shit
5: and batman then tells joker that joker made him by killing his parents
10: how these guys lives are intertwined
4: also kind of a cool twist that they created each other in this one i know it's a trope that superhero movies ended up beating to death soon after but for this movie it 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 totally works
2: uh and then batman beastie living christ out of him
4: i mean he he beats the shit out of him
3: the the triumphant finale is is Batman and the Joker fighting on the roof, and Batman just kinda of pummeling Joker, like wrecking him.
10: That final fight is fun. Joker, he's goofing up, he's chopping it up the whole time. He's doing little
2: There's a couple shots in there where Keaton is Batman. He's clearly enjoying himself and he looks scary as f and he's yeah, I am digging it. He's he's scary he's don't give a shit.
10: He gets punched in the face and he gets thrown through a wall. He goes, he
2: goes
10: he spits out that little teeth. He's chopping it up the whole time. He's he's being a goof. He, he goes out laughing.
5: Eventually, Batman punches Joker off the church or bell tower. Time number four. The Batman tries to
10: kill, murder, and end the life of Joker. Punches him right over the ledge in the cathedral, up at the top of the cathedral. Punches him right over the ledge. Thinks that he's dead. And ultimately punching him off of a roof like to kill the Joker,
3: he punches him off of the roof, and then that's where the DVD that we rented from the video store stopped working. For the longest time, I didn't really know how this movie ended because it just, like like right as Batman punched Joker off the roof, it ended. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that. Like the movie ends
2: with him killing the Joker. So uh, Batman is is about is just beating the fuck out of him, and uh, Joker gets the drop on them. Uh, he, he he falls over the side of the, the tower, but he lands on, like a ledge.
3: And then I watched it again later, and was like, oh no no no, the Joker <laughs> landed on a ledge, and
5: Batman does not kill the Joker.
2: Batman and Vicky lean over to see, you know, if he if he fell or not.
5: Uh oh, it's a trickaroo. The Joker grabs Vicky, and Batman pulls them down. He's just hiding on another, another little ledge.
2: And uh, Joker grabs their wrists and pulls them off the side. So they're holding onto the ledge, and he's standing over them, gloating and having a hell of a time. Gets They both get pulled down like a little cartoon. A lot of really funny cartoon moments, especially
10: up at the top at the end. A lot of good little, little cartoon little gags. Such a funny movie. Serious. Scary. Weird. Freaks me out.
2: Calls for his helicopter, who throws like a rope ladder down to him. And he is uh, getting ready to leave them there to fall
5: or to, you know, whatever.
2: And then...
3: A few seconds later, Batman kills the Joker.
5: But Batman traps Joker by tying a large gargoyle to him. And
2: Batman attaches, uses his grappling hook to shoot the gargoyle on the the church ledge. And then the other side, other end of the wire, he attaches it to the Joker's leg. Seriously, guys, this is the tallest building in Gotham by a lot. It's so f***ing tall. So this cable around his ankle in the gargoyle is making him unable to climb the ladder. He can't go any higher than he is. And the helicopter is, like, pulling him.
0: Oh, the miniature of Joker hanging off the helicopter. And you've got Vicky and Batman just, <laughs> the miniatures are hanging on the tower. And they're just, like, on a little, I don't know, mechanical device. they just swinging them
2: back and forth. Just, oh, they look so cute. So he's caught between an, a stone, very heavy stone gargoyle, and the power of a freaking helicopter.
0: I love I love models. I love miniatures. Time number five,
10: he shoots the little wire, ties him to the gargoyle.
2: He's he's doing a great job of holding on, but then the gargoyle detaches from the church and falls. So even though it
4: never happened in the comics, I kind of love this moment where Joker's getting away, hanging off a ladder from the helicopter, And Batman just straight up decides to murder him, grappling him to a gargoyle and dragging him to the street below. It feels very earned.
2: So the weight yanks him off the ladder.
10: Pulling him down to his death. Makes him fall 20 stories or whatever to smoosh on the ground.
0: You know, Joker falling off a Gotham cathedral, all I have to say is Hans Gruber did it better. Finally, finally killing the man who killed his
2: Family. and he falls a long way hitting the pavement below
0: oh uh, batman and vicky falling and then he uses his his cable gun to stop them at like a dead stop oh that would that would result in dislocated arms broken bones oh god they would be they'd be dead they they would have been gwen stacy'd right there both of them
4: now while i'm not big on batman killing all of his goons i can't blame him for killing the
0: joker in this one
10: and Batman and Vicky get away to safety. Completing
0: the circle of vengeance. Nicely, in one movie. After the Joker is laying in a heap on the ground. And first of all, there's not enough blood to simulate what that would even look like.
4: And then we get that super creepy scene where Joker's body is just laying there in a crater in the asphalt. And there's this little laughing box in his pocket.
2: What's a laugh box thing? He's lying there dead and it's like... Uh, 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 uh like what the
0: f*** is that? Eerie. Nicholson act- actually blinks as the as the camera is zooming in. Come on, Jack. You got to play dead a little bit better. Anyway, how do we call him? He just left us this giant bat to put on a spotlight. He'll just always be looking.
11: Uh in fact, he he I guess donates the bat signal at the end of the movie so they can start calling him on a more secure basis. Y- your fight helped destroy a cathedral, and you're like, yeah, call me if you need me uh, fight some bad guys sometime, or, you know, shoot up the city. Batman gives them a signal,
8: and we kind of get the origin story for Batman in the last, what is it, 20 minutes of the movie, uh, having spent so much time with Joker.
2: Gotham unveils their new bat signal, and there's this hilarious bit where Harvey Dent's like, We've received a letter from the Batman. If evildoers do their evil, any doing, I will stop their evil doing." Gordon gets to light the bat signal. Hey, at least he got to do something. She's really stupid. Uh, again, it, there's a lot of Batman 66 in here, just like serious stuff.
0: Oh, Vicky gets her own champagne in the car ride with Alfred? A lucky girl.
11: I mean, some of those people with smilex laying on the ground during the uh, the parade, uh, I, they could have been fine, but Batman just started shooting bullets
2: into the pavement. Whatever. Uh, then we get our hero shot of the Batman standing on this super tall building, looking at the signal like, yeah.
4: And then we get the sweeping score as we pan up all the buildings to see Batman triumphantly standing by the bat signal. Credits.
8: And we end on a triumphant note with Danny Elfman's score playing in the background. And that's it. The movie's over.
4: Overall, I really like this movie. Overall, I really like... Like this movie. While I'm still not necessarily a fan of Batman having a higher body count than the Joker, I still think this is an awesome
0: movie.
3: I think 1989 Batman is a
0: lot of fun. Again, I think some of it is is a nostalgia. It being really the first Batman, my my first, I don't know, exposure to, to Batman. This is the first time Batman exposed himself to me. No, that no, that's a lawsuit. Um.
8: So yeah. Um. Uh, it, it just doesn't have the flow or the pace that I seem to think it did. Way back when, when we knew no better in 1989.
4: It's very much an 80s action movie, but I think that's actually a positive in this case.
8: You know,
2: there is a lot to love in this movie. A lot. It's not a great movie,
1: but it fits its tone well. The film does a modest job looking at the idea of Batman and what could have led someone down that path. The movie's pretty great.
11: And a good intro to Batman for new people.
1: Trying to ground what genuinely is a ludicrous idea can be tricky, but it's been done to resounding success in other films than this one. I can see why
8: it it might be uh, good to maybe go back to this character, revisit Michael Keaton as Batman from Batman 89 in the Flash movie, if it ever happens, with multi-stories from multiple different dimensions and different parts of the cosmos. I really hope that we get to see Michael Keaton coming back. I would love to see an older Jack Nicholson maybe playing another different type of Joker that actually survived the fall somehow. Whether we get a de-aged Joker and this is somehow set during this movie. I look forward to revisiting this Batman even if this movie itself is not something I will probably come back to for a little bit. I will go ahead and get the stuff I don't
2: love out of the way. Um, I don't love the gangsters for the Joker, like I said. I really don't like that he has a henchman named Bob the Goon. They're just guys, you know. I, it just doesn't... Batman kills basically everyone in this movie.
5: Thanks to Wikipedia, we know that it cost just under $50 million to make. The box office was $411 million. That's a really good return on investment. People showed up for this movie. But it was the late 80s. We'd gone through a decade that, despite Reaganomics, had brought about a lot of disposable income to people. So they were more willing to go and do media, entertainment, things like that, and spend money. And I gotta say, this movie would have been a great choice to see in 1989. I can't imagine seeing this movie live, in theaters, in the moment. It had to have just been... Fantastic! Uh,
2: I love the aesthetic of Gotham. It looks fantastic. It looks like a shithole. It does not look like a place you'd want to visit or live for
1: sure.
0: I know I talked about it in earlier in, in the podcast, but I love the 90s Batmobile. I know a lot of people are fans of the Adam West Batmobile, which that is a very amazing classic uh, car and classic Batmobile. But for me, this is the one. It's what I grew up on. 8992
6: Something I have noticed uh, about this movie there are like no roofs like anywhere the, the the way that they set this up like they they make Gotham look so big even in the tightest areas like there'll always be either a large piece of construction like there's one part where it just looks like there's like a, a support beam that's like mounted into the ground and the support beam is massive And it goes to nothing. We don't see anything. It's like a downward shot. But seeing stuff like that and then seeing just all of this exposed lighting uh, scenes like that, it just it makes this world feel so large, like they kind of establish it with some of the opening sequences and then a few things scattered throughout the movie. But they do so well on ground level and looking at ground level of making you imagine a massive
2: world around you. The score is fantastic. The soundtrack sucks, but the score is great.
10: Love that Batmobile. Uh, that makeup is one of the hardest things to take about.
7: The flesh makeup that they have the Joker wear is weird and bad and wrong, um, and we shall not speak of it anymore. That and like the Batsuit being kind of silly.
5: And it still holds up today because it's got practical effects. I know
7: that it's heresy, but practical effects can go f*** like we have computers we can make giant swirling CGI behemoths you know we can have people shoot laser beams from their fingers and whatever like let's use it let's get that all up there a, a clumsy uh, choreographed scene is not always the the best thing in the world
10: that and like the CGI shields for the batmobile
6: the batmobile armor is probably uh the one kind of like just odd thing that has always stuck out in my mind um i've forgotten a lot about this movie over the years but i have never forgotten this short sequence did they just make a toy with like armor did they ever make a toy out of this with the armor i'm not sure but i would definitely own it
10: but like that stuff looked real when we were that it- when it was 1989, when it was 1990, it looked real. But like, how did they do that with the shields?
7: And I, I, I get it. That would have been—I mean—that would have been even more jarring if they used the whatever piss poor computer graphics they had in, in 89 for this movie. But I'm just saying, in general, I, I'm not going to watch this and go, "Ooh, it's so great! It's like real fighting." Like, eh, it's fine. It's 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 very short, boring fighting. And again. Batman gets his ass kicked constantly in this movie um, it's probably because he cannot turn his head he has to swivel his whole body in that in that costume I, I guess at this point in time uh, Batman hadn't really thought through kind of everything that he would want in, in a crime fighting outfit it's
10: like the most basic looking CGI, some of the special effects in this are so There's a couple where it's just like, oh, like, the spotlights are, like, painted at the end that are showing up at the cathedral. The Joker, when he falls, is, like, a weird drawing of something I don't understand. And there's the one at the very beginning, the first time you see Batman from, like, overhead. The, like, shadow of his, like, cape and stuff is just, like, that's just someone painted that. It looks like a painting. (sighs) Why did that? I don't know. But that's
5: okay. It's it's fine to be... You're still watching a movie. I love practical effects. I feel like they hold up better. They look more realistic. And years down the line, when you watch it, you're not like, oh, that's obviously super fake. There are definitely moments like that in this movie. Limited technology and limited funds lead to creative solutions.
8: So I really like that. As opposed to... Uh... The comedic bumbling of uh, the the Pulitzer Prize focused uh, journalist Alexander Knox, who who just comes across as very irritating, and he's just a character you just can't really relate to, or at least I didn't. It, for me, he's probably the weakest part of the whole film. It's just over the top. It, it feels like he thought that it, this was going to be the campy Batman 66. He's just playing straight into it, whereas everyone else seemed to be sort of wanting to take a, a darker, more twisted route. You know, as, as overacting as Jack Nicholson is and, and hamming and chewing up the scenery as he is, um, he is at least taking this idea of a psychotic, twisted mastermind seriously. He's campy, don't get me wrong, it's campy, uh, but he he played a malevolence to it that I think played well into this movie, whereas the Alexander Knox. Reporter just felt like very uh, stock. It felt like it had just come out of uh, quite literally a 1930 serialized TV drama um, and it was just over the top.
7: I mean, if anything, this comes across more of a Joker origin story which I thought was good. And I'll be honest like I don't know that much about uh, the comic books, so I don't know if this had if this is the
1: true Joker origin story but I like it. Furthermore, the idea that Jack Napier killed Bruce Wayne's parents isn't a far-fetched idea.
2: Uh, I really don't like the fact that Napier is the one that killed the Waynes.
1: But the odds they would meet once again and cross paths as Joker and Batman respectively are very, very slim.
8: It's too... everything's too neat. The crime alley scene. To Batman fans, we know that uh, the Waynes go into Crime Alley and they are killed by a gentleman called Joe Chill. It's not quite clear whether that was the other guy who was with Jack Napier, but they have rewritten it that Jack Napier, the Joker, is the one who created Batman in the first place. And this film kind of leans heavily into that, right up to the very final act. It's an interesting rewrite and I, by all means I, I have no problem with rewriting characters backstories histories whatever i can see why it was probably controversial at the time because it, it, it departed so much from um the source material
7: i do remember hearing at the time that the joker wasn't the person who killed batman's parents eh, whatever
8: that's but the idea that the world is so small that the villain has created the superhero the superhero then created the villain it it makes the gotham city life a bit too coincidental how these guys lives are intertwined
10: he's killed his parents ends up falling in love with
7: his girlfriend it works it doesn't need to be there but it doesn't take anything away for it being there, you know? I mean, I guess if anything, it wraps everything up a little tighter.
8: I I like the fact that Joe Chill is a nobody. That is somebody who was in the the streets and, and nothing really happened. I know that later on it is alluded to that that was also planned and that there was conspiracies behind it in the comic books. You know, the Joker killed my family. I killed the Joker. The
1: end. I don't hate the idea, but I'm not really a fan of it either.
2: Uh, I just, I don't like that at all. I really don't like that they filled in all the Joker's backstory so there's no mystery to him. Uh, he's just a mobster, you know, that went nuts. I don't love that at all.
8: But I've always liked the idea that it is indiscriminate crime. The, the reason um, the Batman goes up, out every night and hunts down crime is that it's everywhere. It's indiscriminate. It doesn't um, have a, a, a wider plan. It is purely out there all the time and needs to be dealt with, just as um, a man's grief, uh, which is the primary reason that Bruce Wayne puts on the cowl and goes out every night. He is always going to be hurting. Uh, No matter how many years in the future it is, he's always going to be suffering and always has to deal with it in his own way.
7: And it does give a great excuse for the very ridiculous uh, Dance with the Devil and the Pale Moonlight quote, which I remember hearing over and over uh, at the time in high school.
1: I feel like even if the Joker had survived the film, it completely changes the dynamic between the
0: characters. I just wish they didn't kill the Joker.
2: Uh, a, a point of contention I've always had with this film is that Batman kills a shit ton of people in this movie. He kills a lot. Uh, he kills all of the Joker's henchmen, well, except for Bob and a couple other ones that maybe Joker killed. Uh, and he also straight up kills the Joker. You know, decades before Affleck went Terminator on Gotham crooks, Keaton was blowing them to shit, tossing to their deaths, shooting them, blowing up with bombs. I mean, right and left. And it's strange in a way, even though we've been seeing it for a long time in the films. But it is strange to see Batman, you know, a guy who goes out of his way to never take a life, just killing people right and left. That's one of the one thing uh, among a lot of things. But one thing I'm excited about with the uh, the Robert Pattinson version is they've. Gone out of their way to say like he—that's—that's that's one of the things they stuck really comics accurate too—is his his vow never to take a life. So yes, it, it you know I get it. Like in the late eighties in an in, in unproven commodity, you're going up against like Die Hard and Lethal Weapon and Commando. Like he's gonna have to kill some folks. So I, it doesn't bother me that much. I just I don't know. More than anything, it's the scene where he bombs the factory and then when he's shooting dudes with his gun in the plane. I don't mind so much that he tr- he's trying to kill the Joker because in the context of the film, it makes sense. But I'll get to that.
0: The MCU has has suffered from this a little bit with a lot of their movies where they kill the bad guy.
2: You know, superheroes aren't Dirty Harry. They're not, you know, John McClane. They're not the, the T-100, Terminator. Their whole thing is like, you know, their villains are, are supporting characters, they're recurring characters. And I, I understand that movies are not serialized fiction for the most part, especially not back then. So... It's not as big of a sin. But it would have been really cool to see the Joker come back at some point in this series.
0: I wish they had kept the Joker around. Even if he wasn't necessarily always the bad guy in the next movie, he would still be there and he could still potentially be a nuisance.
2: The biggest sin that this movie commits, in my eyes, is killing the Joker. The only reason I think I can get behind like a rationale behind it or a rationale for it ...is I know Jack Nicholson got a very large payday, especially in 1989, to be in this movie. To the point where he had uh, some kind of contract where any Joker on any item, any kind of uh, merchandise with Joker's face on it... ...that looks like the Jack Nicholson Joker, he gets a big cut of it. And he basically has the right to that version of the Joker...
0: I get it is different when you're dealing with a movie as opposed to a comic book series or a TV series or cartoon where you need those people and characters to continuously show up.
2: So I think it's it's highly unlikely that Jack Nicholson would have done a sequel to anything, much less this. And if he had agreed to do it, it probably would have cost them uh, money that would be crazy by today's standards back then. So you know if you if you don't think you'll ever get him back and you don't want to have anybody else play him killing him makes sense
0: and you don't know if you're going to actually get a sequel to to a lot of these movies but the joker is so iconic i wish they had kept him alive
2: but it's the freaking joker man like he, the joker is the absolute undisputed king of the ambiguous death the caught in an explosion, uh, fell into a reservoir, got shot and fell out of something, you know, to the point where if you, if you don't see a body, the Joker ain't dead, no matter how certain his death seemed. If you don't find a skeleton and source DNA and all that shit, he's not dead. He, he's a bad penny. You know, he's a, he's a lame joke that keeps coming back up over and over and over again. To kill him, it just... It, it, to me, it reads like the short-sightedness a lot of these these superhero franchises used to have. Even as far as uh, more as recently as like most of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films, is that they would always kill off their
10: villain. Michael Keaton, weird choice, right? Jack Nicholson, weird choice
7: for the Joker, right? I mean, so much of this movie was super quotable. Watching the movie now, it's like a proto meme factory. This, uh, a lot of these things, I think are are at least for me still stick out as as things that uh, me and my friends were repeating over and over at the time. You are my number one guy. That's so great. It's uh, the, the the tale of two Jacks. You've got Jack Nicholson doing his impression of Jack Palance. Oh, fantastic.
10: Are you kidding me? These guys have the most interesting brows in the bids. These are some severe brows. They're nerd- are just going at it head-to-head, upper head, upper forehead area, brow area to brow area, these two guys, man,
0: For random trivia, uh, Robin was actually almost introduced during this film. Granted, we won't see his character until Batman Forever in 1995, which we will be covering. He was originally going to be introduced in Batman, but was scrapped as it wasn't really crucial to the story. The scene was brought to life on a storyboard sequence where Batman was chasing the Joker throughout Gotham just before Joker murders Robin's family. The scene was ultimately dropped and Keeper Sutherland was actually originally offered the role, but he turned it down.
4: There's actually a few references to a country called Corto Maltese, which was actually featured in the recent uh, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad.
8: It's curious, in the credits we do get uh, Bob Kane, um, you know, characters based on Bob Kane's work. For those maybe not in the know, uh, with Batman, uh, Bob Kane is primarily credited as uh, the creator of Batman, but really everyone... Who sort of read the comics or, or knew anything about the, the behind-the-scenes stories, knew that Bill Finger was the main credited creative force behind Batman. Everything that we know of Batman, everything that we associate with Batman—the Batmobile, the Batcave—you know, Alfred—you know, loads of different qualities of Batman that we would come to associate with that character. Are credited really to Bill Finger, but it's Bob Kane who eventually comes up with the concept of the Batman uh, that really gets the credit at this point in history. Um, it is quite strange. Hopefully, I look forward to sort of finding out where the the shift happens. I'm pretty sure it doesn't happen with these early films. I, I could be wrong, perhaps. Maybe even Batman or Robin might get to that point, but Bill Finger just doesn't even get a look in in terms of this movie. Like this movie is of a piece with itself. It knows what it is
3: and it executes on that vision of just a weird gothic Gotham city really, really well. This is, this is a a great look for Gotham. This movie
5: is great. It holds up. I still highly recommend it.
1: It's got great music. Tim Burton's Batman, along with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the following year proved that comic book films could be viable in a market flooded with utter shite. I think that Bruce Wayne
3: is great in this. Batman doesn't really do a lot. He doesn't really say a lot, but that's kind of how Batman should be.
10: Yeah, I'm gonna call me too on Bruce Wayne. He does. He drugs her a few times. No, one more. He gets her drunk, sleep with her. Didn't call her. Drugs her later and takes film out of her bra when um, he is driving with her in the Batmobile and she can clearly is just like looking at his face like I recognize in your face it's not even fully covered up it's like uh, and then he just sort of blows the fan he like presses the button and blows the fan and her eyes and she can know this place. that's a good bit
3: and then, of course, The Joker. The Joker's really good in this. I really like Jack Nicholson's Joker a lot. So, overall, I, I really like this movie.
11: I can see how it'd be crazy back in the late 80s to see this film. Say you've been a comic book nerd all the time in the 70s and 80s, and you get nothing, I mean nothing, to watch out for for movies.
1: For the next decade, Hollywood produced such comic book hits as The Crow, The Mask, The Shadow, The Phantom, Barbwire, Spawn, Steel, Judge Dredd, Tank Girl, Mystery men. Okay, okay. So, once again, the market saw diminishing returns because Hollywood suits didn't learn a goddamn thing.
11: Uh, The only issue I see is because this movie was dark and brooding. Every f***ing superhero movie has to do that now. We get no campiness. We get no fun. uh, I mean, aside from Deadpool.
7: Yeah, overall, I think this is... At the time, it was like the pinnacle of comic book movies. Now, it's definitely more of a like, eh, you were good for your time. I still like it okay, but it's just I think we've gotten much better at making these kinds of movies. You either make one that is just like pure eye and brain candy that's not meant for you to really dwell on it too much. Or you try to make something that's a bit more studied and serious uh, or you make something that is just like silly. And this one, this movie just doesn't know which of those three things to be because those weren't really the options then. So, I mean, I think it is... It does break due ground and kind of breaks open what's to come for superhero movies. I'm thinking especially of, like, the X-Men, I think, came after this that were also like, oh, wow, all right, so we can make good superhero movies. That's that's a good thing to know.
0: I had a lot of fun watching it again. Is this a perfect film? No, but... Oh, God, it's so good.
4: As much as I've enjoyed almost all the Batman movies that have come since, this one will always hold a special place in my heart.
0: Go rewatch it. If it's been a while, go rewatch it. All the feels will come back, especially that music. All right, I could go on, but you know, this is fun.
4: It's really too bad we didn't get a third movie with Keaton as Batman, but we do at least get to see him don the cow one more time later this year in the upcoming Ezra Miller
10: Flashpoint movie. I can't wait to watch. I haven't watched Batman Returns in a while.
0: Next up will be the 1992 Batman Return. I watched this on Hulu, and then at the
7: end of the movie, Hulu recommended the next, queued up the next thing for me, Stargate Atlantis. What? (laughs) Batman Returns is like, I believe, also literally on Hulu, the sequel to this movie. Why would you queue up? All right, well. We're not here to complain about Hulu.
2: So Batman Returns is going to be a weird one. We'll
8: get into that. It's one of the weirdest, most Tim Burton-y things there's ever been. This was fun to revisit, and I look forward to coming back to Batman Returns. And hopefully I'll be able to send in my thoughts for that, too. I'm interested to see how I will take to the next one with the Penguin.
6: Hmm.
2: Now, that being said, once the director and cast changes take place in the third movie, it makes me exceedingly glad that they had killed the Joker in this one so that we could get Schumacher's hands as far away from the clown prince of crime as humanly possible.
1: And boy, does the original run of these films drive that point home.
2: Batman Forever is just terrible. And, and Batman and Robin, I would rather than watch that movie again, but here we are. So, you know, we'll, we'll get to it when we get to it and, and
8: uh, we'll all suffer together. Thank you very much to Eric for inviting me to contribute. Uh, You may know me from the Temporal Trek podcast or or its sister show, the spin-off Nexus Nights. You may also know me from the Cosmic Pizza podcast or the Epsilon 3 Babylon 5 Rewatch podcast or uh, Monsters, My Middle Child and Me. So uh, I'm being kept quite busy and uh, I just uh, had to have another podcast. So I figured I'd contribute to this one as well. And I could not be happier to contribute to uh, this first in a series of Batman reviews and rewatches.
4: For this season of Batcasters Assemble, we're covering every live-action Batman movie leading up to Matt Reeves' The Batman, including Batman Returns, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. We'll also be tackling bonus episodes on the animated movie Mask of the Phantasm, the Arkham video games, even a Batfleck debate regarding the Snyderverse version of the character. So head on over to our Patreon where you can unlock early access to episodes, blooper reels, and more. If you want to hear more nerdy comic book goodness from Chris and I, you should check out our other podcast, Comic Zombie, where we actually talked about the Burden and Schumacher Batman movies on our very first episode, and just recently finally covered the Dark Knight trilogy on our latest episode. And next time we'll be talking about the Bat, the Cat, and the Penguin? With Tim Burton's Batman Returns.
0: So, uh, same bat time, same bat podcast. Until then, podcasters
11: assemble. The bat will return in Batman Returns.
9: Next time on Podcasters Assemble. I've been down here too long. It's time for me to ascend from the sewers of Gotham. ...a new villain emerges. You didn't invite me! So I crashed. From the rooftops of Gotham... ...the perfect enemy comes to life... And the only one who can save this city is a creature of the night. Hey, stud, I thought we had something together. We do. She craves a romance she can sink her claws into. You can't to a girl like me. He plots a foul reign of destruction. My dear penguins, thanks to Batman, the time has come to punish all.
1: To be continued
9: podcasters assemble is a production of the we can make this work probably podcast network find more of our shows at probablywork.com and learn how to contribute to future episodes of podcasters assemble by looking us up on twitter and instagram at casters assemble or joining our discord page link in the show notes submissions are always open intro written by eric slater Music by Deft Stroke Sound. Voice over by a guy in a basement with three daughters who's just glad he's not on food stamps. This episode was edited by Eric Slater. Thank you to everyone who was able to contribute to this episode. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to where you can find them all online. Thank you. This has been a
7: presentation of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network.
11: Follow us on Twitter
7: at ProbablyWork
3: for more of our questionable content. Also, we have a website called ProbablyWork.com.
4: Batman?
0: Batman, you say? Oh, that's that's a later movie. We'll get to it eventually.
4: Even in the opening shot of the movie, this cathedral is by far the biggest skyscraper in the skyline. Like it's crazy how tall that thing is it's absurd like buildings could only get so tall before the invention of steel i looked this up this is on the 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 wiki for this the old gotham cathedral was 800 feet tall so you're telling me that this thing was built in what the 1800s before the rest of the city like why how big does your church need to be? It would have easily been the tallest man-made structure for centuries. Can you imagine riding up to this thing on a horse? It'd be like the freaking Dark Tower. <laughs> this would look like Sauron's tower from the distance. Like, damn! Someone's making a statement. It's like the freaking Tower of Babel. And it looks rickety as hell. There's no setup for this. And what's the point of all those extra levels? It's just a massive bell tower. Nothing but wooden stairs all the way up. <sighs> At least the building in Ghostbusters made some logical sense for the storyline. I mean, it was built by this crazy architect in the 30s. That makes a little bit more sense. But this, uh, an 18th century Gothic cathedral eclipsing the Empire State Building... No, I'm not buying it. It's 80 stories. I don't know why it's this specific thing that bothers me. I mean, there's, you know, I have I have no problem with the guy dressing up in a bat suit, beating criminals and <laughs> uh, a terrorist dressed up as a clown. But yeah, no, it's the it's the it's the building that I get stuck on. That takes me out of the movie. Not the bat themed jet that takes out a bunch of poisonous balloons. No, it's uh <laughs> seriously that shit would just topple over like a house of cards made of bricks.
11: Podcasters, assemble.
9: Hello. Gotham Cornerstone? Yes, we seem to be down to our last diet cook. A gentleman is on his way to pick some up. Just look for a black car. No, this black car will be rather difficult to miss. And by the way, the gentleman is usually in quite a rush. Just for the taste of it.